For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcast. Morning all, lines open. You can text 0868104106. The Echo this morning, uh, give us chapter and verse, exactly what's going to happen down the south Docklands area. And that's quite lengthy. It's not just what you see on the on the actual waterfront near the Odlums building or the old the old silos. It's further down than that. It's an incredible undertaking by O'Callaghan Properties. Uh, and they have welcomed the fact that the council have granted uh, conditional permission uh, for planning applications. So that's kind of like the, the admin and all of the, the administrative stuff that's going on. But what are they proposing? Well, elsewhere in the area, like further down along, they're proposing 1,300 new homes. So on, to- on top of that, on the keys themselves then, on the Docklands, you'll be looking at four new buildings completely new buildings, uh, a conversion of the Odlums building, uh, a hospital, a rehabilitation hospital. Um, it doesn't end there, actually, because there are super graphics in the Echo today as to what, say, for instance, Kennedy Key will look like, uh, a frontal view of the proposed uh, Odlums building uh, on Kennedy Key. Um, and and, and oh, more detail, there'll be significant regeneration that will include, well, the silos will go, the Orrin H. Hall silos will be demolished and those four buildings will go up in this place. So there'll be office space, there'll be cafes, there'll be convenience retail, there'll be 80 apartments. What else do they see? Uh, food and beverages spaces, a cinema, including a bar and a dining area, 84 apartments uh, and a rehab hospital. So that's kind of it in a nutshell. Uh, it's very exciting times uh, as the city powers ahead and tries to deal with change and indeed... It tries in in many different areas of the city, I suppose, in the suburbs, to give people opportunities to buy or to rent and put a roof over their heads. Uh, Meanwhile, of course, health becomes, uh, you know, you wonder whether or not, um, you know, a public health system uh, is the way to go um, because they seem to be making a right old hames of it and have been for quite some time. The Echo this morning talks of Danny Doyle, a 36-year-old from Toker. Now, he lost an eye in 2006 after a taxi he was travelling in was hit by a tram in Manchester. But the story regarding Danny is that he's been told that he'll be six years and nine months waiting before he can get a follow-up appointment uh, for any ophthalmology services at CUH. Uh, I don't know whether that's a record or not. It's certainly up there, six years and nine months for a follow-up appointment. So at least six years on the waiting list. The papers also talk of numbers in quite some detail on Lisa and when it comes to priests and parishes. Like the examiner stories that says this morning that almost a dozen parishes are said to lose a priest. And they're going to have to change the whole parish structure and network now. We've got eight retirements announced. I think it's a fact that there are more priests retiring than priests taking up the ministry, if you like. So the bishop is saying that parishes will now be bunched together in families of parishes where you'll have a moderator priest and the duties will be shared. Very much like, I suppose, what has been happening quite for quite some time in country areas and in country towns and villages, certainly in the smaller villages where they share the priest. And in fact, you could have three or four parishes which would have a mass on a Sunday every four, three or four weeks because the priest is moving around. Uh, there's another story related to the church uh, and, um, you know, uh, Ukrainian refugees because they know where to put them. And they continue to come into the country fleeing war, of course, and Russian occupation. So the government now is giving five million euro uh, to uh, religious orders to renovate their buildings um, owned by religious orders to accommodate Ukrainian refugees fleeing war. So the state is going to cover the cost of revamping church buildings to aid the Ukrainians. There are some would say 
uh, that maybe the church should be doing it anyway out of the bottom of their heart. But maybe it's the fact that they don't have the money. Maybe the Vatican has the money, but the actual parishes haven't a bob. And then, of course, regarding Ukraine, um, it just continues and continues and continues. With regards to the president's wife, Sabina Higgins, she's saying she's dismayed at the reaction to her controversial letter on the war in Ukraine. The woman was calling for peace talks and negotiation and an end to war and killing and people are just climbing on board. I think that story has run its course at this stage, hasn't it? Um, anyway, you, you may have an opinion on it. I don't know. Uh, people saying that, no, this won't end until she apologises. It shouldn't have been up on the President's website. You'd think that President Michael D. Higgins has very much earned his stripes at this stage, and by virtue of that, so is his wife, I would have thought. But one of the issues now is that China um, is getting really uh, hot under the collar because Nancy Pelosi went on a visit to Taiwan, and you can't be doing that because the China regard Taiwan as Chinese. So now they're threatening to encircle Taiwan with warships and jets. Just when you thought that the world couldn't get any worse, it just went and turned the heat up even some more. So it's not just Ukraine now and Russia, uh, it's grief with China as well. Uh, Back here though, the courts make the papers. It's quite interesting because if you're an injured punter and you take an accident claim to court, you could be hit with heavy legal fees if you win less and was recommended to you to take. So if you are made an offer, I suppose, and you say, nah, I'll go to court, and you go to court, and the court settles on an amount of money lower than your offer, well, then they're saying you're going to be fined. I don't know that they say anything to do with tackling fraud uh, or people who make false claims and are found to be making a false claim in court. Uh, I often wonder why they aren't uh, prosecuted for fake claims. I don't even know what the story is with regards to costs. If you take a court case and you lose do they chase you down for cost? Uh, but another one or two stories with regards to living in Ireland has to do with rape and serious assault. Uh, rape, serious assault and blackmail are all on the rise by all accounts, according to the Star. They talk about crime rates on the rise in the first half of 2022. Maybe it's because more people are moving around. I don't know. But the Independent breaks it down this morning saying the rape Reported rapes are up 23% in the first six months of the year. Domestic violence has also increased. Assault causing harm is also up. Theft, particularly of bicycles, interestingly. Criminal damage. Possession of drugs for sale or supply is down, strangely. You would think that, you know, that that would be consistently rising. I saw a drug deal going down broad daylight on Oliver Plunkett Street the other day. Two characters, clear as day to me as to what they were doing, but... I don't know, do we just become totally used to it? Papers also, uh, in quite some detail, talk about a um, workplace commission, a workplace relations commission case that was taken uh, against Weatherspoons in Cork. Now, uh, the girl involved in this uh, lost it, uh, the bar worker. She said she had no choice but to quit her job because of the level of violence at Weatherspoons in Cork City two years ago. But she lost the claim for constructive dismissal. Uh, the uh, adjudicating officer found that um, the girl quit on a voluntary basis and didn't give the company uh, time or space to conclude the measures that they had started to try and help her with. So she didn't win that. But what interested me uh, was, um, you know, some of the evidence that was given at the commission where uh, she said that uh, there were incidents, one in particular, of violence and aggression in the pub where her apron was splattered with the blood of the duty manager when she went to give him first aid after he was stabbed by a customer. He was stabbed by a customer wielding a broken gin glass, apparently. 
Uh, and she said that there were daily difficulties at the bar because of inappropriate lack of security staff and that she wasn't trained to deal with violence and aggression. In fact, the duty manager, uh, the area manager, said that there had been 12 incidents between 2018 and 2019, which he said would not be unusual. Uh, and I don't know when he says incidents, how many of them were really, really serious ones. But um, it just goes to show, uh, you know, if you're in hospitality or working in pubs or alcohol settings, it can be a dangerous place. And you hear the story then that people who are, are racing around trying to get deals in supermarkets and trying to reduce their grocery bills are actually spending more money uh, buying multi-buy discount deals. You're, it's costing you more in the long run. I can't see how if you're buying things at discounted prices that you ultimately will use. I mean, in America, they're mad for coupons. They'd be cutting coupons out of things and bringing them to supermarkets. I don't know that we do that. Did that ever catch on? There are other stories then regarding retail. New car sales have collapsed by 17%. And even those that are being sold now, apparently 40% of all new cars now are electric cars. So they continue to make... Uh, it's almost, you know, you don't do a double take anymore when you see an electric car or... You clearly won't hear it, but you'll certainly see it. They're becoming all too familiar now. 40% of all new cars now apparently are uh, electric. And Rebecca Vardy makes all of the red tops. She gave an interview, which will be aired tonight on Talk TV, where she said that um, she did not. And she says, I will say and continue to say uh, that until I'm blue in the face, I did not do it with regards to leaking um, Colleen Rooney's uh, messages on Instagram to the tabloids. In fact, she say in the interview tonight that people are yelling at her on the, in the street. They're calling her names like, you're a rat, you're a troll. They're saying to her, she's saying that I'm worried to be on my own. I'm worried to leave my own house. Uh, the downside of this, of course, for her is that she was given many opportunities to settle it by Colleen Rooney, uh, but didn't. Uh, maybe some might say that she wouldn't settle it because she believed that she was innocent. And then if you're heading off on your halls, you might be listening to me on your halls this morning. Might be somewhere around Ireland or overseas. What book are you reading? It's a lovely story making the mirror today with regards to, uh, you know, the books that people like to read on the holidays. And apparently romance uh, tops. I don't know, is it romance with men and women who read romantic books? But here they are nonetheless. Number one is a book called Beautiful World, Where Are You? Uh, by uh, Sally Rooney. That's the number one book at the moment. Harry Potter's collection is number two. Fifty Shades of Grey is still making the top five, interestingly. Um, that's the ultimate summer holiday read, read apparently. Um, number four is Pride and Prejudice by Jane Austen. And number five, To Kill a Mockingbird. They go on then, like The Boy in the Striped Pajamas, The Thursday Murder Club, The Diary of Anne Frank, My Sister's Keeper, and The Hunger Games. So that's the top ten. I wonder if your book is anywhere in those. And if you want to save the planet, eat your bugs, uh, eat your creepy crawlies, eat your worms, uh, because insects are now on the menu in an effort to try and save the planet. You have been warned. I bet they're crunchy, though, if they're deep fried. <laughs> maybe, maybe with a little hot sauce, I don't know. And one final one, a word of warning. If you have uh, British banknotes at home, 20s and 50s and what have you, you now have two months to either bring them to a bank and exchange them or spend them. Because in two months' time, if you're stashing British banknotes... You won't be able to use them because in two months' time, the Bank of England is withdrawing the paper notes and replacing them. They call it durable polymer versions. They're actually plastic banknotes, very light plastic. Have you, have you come across them? I have. Not a fan. Not a fan. I like old-fashioned banknotes. Um, but the new ones, of course, are plasticky. 
um, and uh, the paper ones will be worthless. So anyone holding them, spend them. Or send, or send them to me and I'll spend them for you. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 0818-104-106. Red FM. And you can also pick up the phone on 0818-104-106. Can I start with, unfortunately, a bit of sad news? Because a wonderful Cork woman passed away peacefully in hospital yesterday with all her family by her side. I'm talking about Nana Nora. Um, and I spoke with Nana Nora's son um, some time ago, uh, Timmy. In fact, it was July of 2020 when Nora was 85 years old. Uh, she passed away yesterday at the age of 87. Uh, wonderful, wonderful woman. A great, great character. Um, uh, and the heart and soul of Cork, really. Uh, she was from Blarney Street. And you might remember, actually, she became an internet sensation overnight for her cooking prowess. And the simple stories of life in Cork growing up and rearing a family. Just a beautiful woman who reared beautiful, beautiful children. In fact, I remember uh, it was probably in and around the summer of 2020. I remember cycling down Blarney Street and I came upon Nana Nora and her family. I'd say they were coming out with Nana uh, of a Sunday lunchtime, taking her off for a bit of Sunday lunch and putting Nana in the car and off there and I stopped and we had a good old chat and it was just lovely. She's got the most beautiful eyes and the most gorgeous, gorgeous smile. Just looking at a photograph of her yesterday with her son, uh, Timmy. She passed away yesterday um, peacefully in hospital, surrounded by her family. But this is an an extract um, from an interview that I did with her son, Timmy, back in 2020. Now, we spoke with Timmy yesterday and he said the family were distraught. Um, but that they would love if I had an opportunity and might talk to me in a few weeks' time or what have you, but might be lovely, they thought, because uh, I wanted to do a little bit of a tribute to her and they said that would be so lovely, we'd love it. So there's a bit of an interview I did with her son, Timmy, back in July of 2020 and it actually starts with Nana Nora uh, telling us how to make the perfect stew. You might recall um, her secret ingredient. I'll say no more about that. And it ends up then with uh, her telling us uh, of the night she woke the Lord Mayor up to get her son to collect her at 3am from the from a dance in, in Glenville. All sorts of beautiful stories reminiscing about life and living in Cork. Wonderful woman, Nana Nora. Hello everybody, today I'm going to show you the way I make the stew for our own to dinner. I forgot to tell you all along that my gas cooker that I cook son is 60 years old. And I'm sure you need to be wondering when you're looking at it, what kind of a cook for a set. Now, I always, when I do too, I always get, say, a bit of steak instead of two pieces. But like when you have a big family, you'll have to get them, you'll have to get the two pieces. No, I'm just putting in the meat. No, no, when I have the meat, you know. I put in a bit of salt and a bit of white pepper again. No, yesterday, no. I am, I cut out the bread and potatoes and they're sleeping all night. And I have carrots, a big onion and celery. And they see what you're even sleeping all night. The juice off of them then. The bit lovely and just chewed for the bit of oil, you know. And when it boiled all over the gas. And I leave a similar way for no matter. And then I'll show you how to pop the end of the stuff. When you boil up then, when you cover it, make sure that you always don't cover the water. Because if you cover the water out of the pot, then I'll boil all over it. But if you just keep the cover like that, and it won't boil out then at all. No. 
the next thing on the stool now. I'll just put in the pesto. I'll show you now the pesto and hope to make it for Jamie Joseph potatoes. Now what you do now is you'll get two big spoons of pesto. Now if you haven't bought it in clothes, you can mix it in a bowl or a big mug or something. Now next now I'll put it on the cold tap. And I keep stirring the pesto room. I keep stirring the snow until all the lumps has gone over. Now, I'll put it back in now. The pesto room into the stew. Now, give it a good stir in the room now. And now, I'm going to put in the potatoes now in it after day. Now, so they'll be lovely now when they'll be done. Now, when they're all done now, I'll show you when we're eating all dinner. And the next thing I want to tell you now is when you be doing the stew then, and when you're eating your dinner, if you put a little drop of um, the brown chef sauce over it, it'll be beautiful. Makes it dinner lovely. <laughs> Timmy Ryle is her son. Timmy, good morning. <laughs> Good morning, Lee. How are you? That's incredible. It really. She's I just the sat there watching. Isn't she unreal? Like the cooker's oh, nearly as old as herself. But the secret is weapon it? is the brown sauce at the end. Is it? That's it, my Plenty sauce over it. No, oh my God. Over. oh my God! It's just it's so lovely just to listen to her voice and just yeah. now. Of course, we're hearing the audio of this. This is a video, of course, of one of many that were done during lockdown. Is that right? I was started off with she. We started to be putting things on Facebook. And she'd ask the money to put on something for the two grandkids and my youngest daughter while we were all in lockdown, just for a laugh. And when he pulled up, it kicked off. So I think at the moment, now, for the thing, she have a, she have a quarter of a million views. <laughs> <laughs> so that's not bad at all. So now, Eddie, Eddie, five years away. It's something there. else. During lockdown, was it um, herself and the grandson, Eddie, yeah. were, board, were they boarded up together? So he so, started yeah. recording her stories. Exactly. She, she just done a small thing for the grandkids and then it kicked off from there. And then they were emailing, texting, could you put another one? So she used to a story from her every Sunday night. That's just a clip of her. Her, her stew sounds delicious. That's a great trick about steeping the veg and then using the yeah, water as stock. You've got all the flavour into it. You were very lucky though uh, with the fillet steak for the stew, huh? Oh, the best. It was only, oh, she gets the best. You could bring in anything. Nah, you'll have to pick it up. She had her own butcher for years and years and years. Great story. I love them. I love that. I <laughs> love Corkster. She was a stallholder for, for many years. In the was, she was in the Corkster for years and years. In Cardin Marcus Street. What'd she sell? Oh, I love second-hand tours. And they don't be, be hardly there much now no more. That was a couple of years. Ah, yeah, those yeah. days. Those All days, the ladies yeah. used to be all selling that thing. Yeah, yeah. And she rare a big family? Was there many of you? No, I'm the only child. <laughs> the only one. <laughs> So I'm fully sure on me legs. Yeah. Uh, so was she born on on Blarney Street? She was born up in Presentation Road. That's around the corner from Blarney Street. And then when she met me dad, they were living just below the high house, Hope Falls. And then, uh, then we went down to Conway's Lane. I was born in Conway's Lane in, in Blarney Street. But when the new houses came, then they were only a yeah, small little houses that time. Yeah. We moved up to the top of Fairhill directly opposite the telephone next to him. There was only all fields up there that day. Yeah. So, yeah. unfortunately, my dad died when he was young, 46. Oh, dear. And her sister was living in Bernie Street all her life. So she was auntie, my man, then to move back down. And after a few years, my man bought the house where she's present, you know. Amazing, isn't it? And I see great stories about growing up on great the north stories. side and the characters great and everything. Stories. And you recording all of those now? They don't really be recording them. I have loads of them now. Don't know that. 
So how many how many times is a video, say that one for instance, been viewed? Because I hear people are picking up on it all over the world, yeah? All over the world. Australia, uh, Canada, Canada. Australia, everywhere you name they're emailing them. And I think we're going to share them as well a little later on because they're great yeah. fun, that one. Uh, they're, they're only fun. That's all she was known for a bit of fun for the lockdown, yeah. And she's still cooking, is she? She's still cooking. She made a studio yesterday. And um, she's 85 now in two weeks' time. So one of our favourite little places is a, a little pub and restaurant and the Wendy Killarney there. And we have a book to land out for Sunday week to go down. Ah, uh, that'll be somebody else do the cooking for us so she'll be oh, spoiled. And I have another bit of audio here in a minute. It's something to do with the, with the Lord Mayor. What's all that all about? Oh, that was years and years ago. I went married and I was only married about 12 months, but me sent the wife were actually living with me, mum and dad at that time. And herself and her sister-in-law and another woman that used to be together. They used to go down to Glenville, the Cape County, to uh, the dance that time. That's right. That's years ago, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So after they went down in the bus and they went, they had their own night out and whatever happened. When they came out, the bus was gone. So me mother says, what are we going to do now to get home? So there was a fellow passing and they'd asked him if they paid him, would he give him a spin on his way back to cop? So they gave him five old pounds that time. Wow, big money. And he said he'd go around the corner to get the care. So they were still waiting for them. He never appeared back. Oh my God, what a horrible thing to do. A five so went around, so they walked down to the village in Glenville and they banged that to their barracks. So the guard rang. There was no phones on mobile phones. On. We hadn't even house phones that day. <laughs> so my man said, Sean French, the Lord Mayor, lives around the corner from us. Would you ever be able to ring him? And he'd ring Timmy or he'd call up to Timmy. Because Timmy hadn't a phone, but the Lord Mayor did, is he it? He had no phone, but the Lord Mayor had. I'm inside bed about quarter three in the morning. There's no tick on the ground and a bang at the window. So I goes to the wife, Jesus, there's something else to happen in there. So I said, who's there? And he said, this is the Lord Mayor of San Francisco around the corner to me. Your mother and the two women have stopped down in Glenville. <laughs> so I had to get out of the bed. The only place you get the uh, petrol that time for 24 hours, you know, you remember that, is opposite the Airlines Hospital in the Western Road. There's a hotel, you know. <laughs> it was, it was yeah, yeah, yeah. All the way to Glenville, I had to get the heat of blood before I picked them up. <laughs> and when I pulled in, they were standing in the door. There were like three little ice flies frozen. There was three <laughs> marbles. <laughs> So it took oh. me mother about three weeks to get the heat back into my body after that. The son so. picks up the mother from Cades County in Glenville <laughs> and the Lord Mayor comes round to tell you get I'm out of bed. <laughs> yeah, we know the stories about Lango. Here's Bye. Nana Nora and uh, that story about um, Cades County and the Lord Mayor, Sean French. Why no, it's me and myself and two more friends, Jenny and Mrs. Hawkins. We went to it and sold the country. And oh, Timmy drove us down today, did a dance anyway. And Timmy said, I'll come down and I collect you when the dance is over. So we said, Don't, because the bus will be going back. And we come back in the bus. We caught a little really daddy in inside. And when we came out, the bus was gone. And we had no one to give us a lift. So we went up the town anyway. We were looking around and there was no one out. So we decided we were outside the girls barracks and we said we'd have to the girls door and we'd ask him, is there any way you get us home? And he put his head out the window upstairs and he said, what do you want? And I said, Gareth, where are they? 
burning up way for our defense and we can't get home, we missed the bus. And he said, what do you want me to do with it? He said, and I oh, can't do nothing in a pop tree, he said. So anyway, he hunted us away. So we were drunk and we didn't know what to do. He always used to stick on the road. I oh, told you, sure, cope with me, and I nearly drive it to cold. So I oh, said to me, Mate, you know what we do? If I phone Sean French, and he was still on here at the time, I'd ask him to look up to my house to call Timmy, would Timmy come down to bring us home? So anyway, I phoned Larmier. That was about three o'clock in the morning. I told him what happened. I said, we can't get home. And we're in an away. Um, and I said, uh, would there be any chance you'd go up to my house and call Timmy and ask Timmy, would he come down to bring us home? So he said, I will, Mrs. Roy. He said, hey, ring me back in about, uh, about ten minutes time and uh, I'll leave you know. So we were asked to throw the phone box and uh, we were waiting for him to, uh, to ring him and we rang him anyway and uh, he said to uh, he said, Timmy is on his way, don't uh, to collect you. So anyway, Timmy came down and my God, we were like, uh, we were like uh, big blocks of ice, we were all freezing and he, Timmy was all home. And um, uh, Timmy had to go in there with me because they were say killing me. And Timmy had to tell Dennis that he was with us all night and that the car walked down and that we got stuck on the road. And that's how we were so late, so we got off with it. After that, me couldn't get over that I was after sending an arm here for a message. And she was always trying to look and always had a great death over it. <laughs> Rightly so. Nana Nora Ryle, who passed away yesterday at the age of 87. She has her own YouTube, YouTube channel and there are reams and reams of videos of Nana telling all sorts of different stories and you can check them out yourself when you have time. Nana Nora Ryle uh, on YouTube, her own YouTube channel and they just cover so many different stories. They're incredible. She tells stories like the little boy that Santa forgot. She tells the story of the Christmas lights, uh, Curricle upon graveyard, how to make Irish bodice and cabbage, her day trip to Kerry and her day trip to Cove on the train way back in the in the day and making porridge and she tells ghost stories and tells a story about uh, Niddy the donkey. It's just lovely stuff. I thought the, the description of her making the Irish stew was great with the carrots and the onions and the celery and the bisto and the potatoes and steeping the vegetables overnight to use as stock. Simple stuff like that that, um, you know, we... I need to hang on to. And, uh, of course, the secret ingredient then is the dollop of uh, chef brown sauce into the stew before you serve it. Absolutely wonderful stuff. So another great Cork character. I didn't want the opportunity to pass without marking her passing as a wonderful Cork woman and a great son, uh, Timmy says. No wonder he's 20 stone with his mammy's cooking. I'd say Nana Nora wouldn't have any interest at all in best before dates or used by. She'd use cop-on which is what we all need to do rather than, you know, these best before dates, uh, it was an awful lot of food waste because of it. And uh, if we were a bit more uh, savvy with regards to, you know, checking food, smelling food, tasting food, we'd seriously reduce food waste and would ch- save money as well. I mean, yesterday, you know, our gaff, a certain individual said to me, can I actually use this? And I said, what's the date on it? And she says, August 2nd. I said, that's today's date. There's another week in that. 
No, but it says. It says, August, use by, and it's past now. And I just roll my eyes to heaven and say, Mother of God, where is the world going to? But anyway, uh, apparently it's changing because I was talking yesterday that Waitrose and indeed Marks and Spencer are axing best before dates on hundreds and hundreds of their fruit and vegetable products. It's a bit like a bit of cop on. Unlike, unlike your man who was up the, I mean, you saw that, would you like? You saw that story, your man up the, was it the Connor Pass or the Healy Pass? Your man with the big massive Arctic and he pulling what looked like a, a mobile home up on the back of it. I, I, I actually couldn't believe when I saw the video that anybody would even... The Connor Pass. I mean, by the time the road gets narrow, do you, do you not think, right... Well, Let's he, see well you this see, <laughs> he ignored all of the turn back now, a bit like people going into the Jack Lynch tunnel and the barriers coming down on them. Yeah. He ignored all of the signs saying, turn back now, turn back now, turn back now, because he was following his GPS. I, I, I don't get it. There's, there's no substitute for your eyes, your ears, you know, your, the five senses. You just, like, I, I did, and this GPS crack, I mean, like, I'm, look, I'm of the old-fashioned style. I like to know where I am at any one time. I'd like to know if my GPS turned off in the morning, I wouldn't need it. But Google Maps will take you to all sorts of crazy places if you're not careful. I remember trying to go from Fermoy to Cars, uh, not Cars, uh, not but on a skull. I said, look, I'll try on Google Maps and see where it took me. I ended up on every single country road. Yeah, because North you have to be very careful because there, it will give you alternative routes. I, I wonder, like, I'm surprised. And I'm actually, back roads and boreens and lanes. But I'm shocked, like, as as people know, like, we, we drive, I drive a camper van. And, like, <laughs> like, there's no hope a guy be going around the corner past the camper van. Not Would you hope. not get up it, no? No, not a Would hope. Would you not put it on cruise control, no? <laughs> Go into the back then, make a cup of tea. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All the pots and pans coming flying out no, all over. Man. Like he no, eventually, like, eventually ran out of road and had to reverse. People were waiting hours, hours. hours. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the holy shame of being, <laughs> of being in the truck? And having the only, the only consolation from him is apparently he wasn't Irish because the ridge on the Arctic truck was international. So he hadn't a clue. Yeah. He hadn't a clue where he but was I going. But I still think anyway. Google Maps should do a wide load or a big vehicle version. You know, the way that you can skip the tolls or you can skip ferries or you can whatever. So they obviously have, you know, the AI can kind of reroute oh, you in Google ways. So it should just be, it should just, just be stick me to main roads. Like, I don't want to go anywhere else but main roads. There it's all about cop on, though. I mean, if you're told, if you have a wide load, Arctic, lorry, truck, camper van, turn back now. And like, oh. even your own eyes. Like, even you can see the road getting narrower and narrower and narrower, you know? It's like... As a bank holiday Monday. It's like a hall of mirrors. So you're like three hours of traffic behind him trying to get to what? Dingle, is it? <laughs> a dingle on one side and then everybody trying to get around to Castle Gregory on the other side. Oh my god. You oh didn't my. see any of the traffic, no, on your weekends? No, it no, didn't, I mean, it didn't it's, affect you. The only thing that I noticed, an awful lot more um, uh, coach tours, mm. which is great. Mm. Like, you, like last year, Not the year before, past, nothing. No, I was, in the, I was on the other side of the waters, that, but it, a, lot, a lot of tourists around. Mm. An awful lot of Irish, but huge amount of internationals, and Americans are back. Yeah, and it's funny, it's actually, it surprised me how quickly we've kind of got back to a point where, like I was at a music festival over the weekend, and that was just totally normal, like to be camping out with hundreds of other people yeah, in the middle no, of big crowds, it, was great. it seemed it was totally great to normal. Back. Uh, sad to hear of Nana Nora's passing, thanks for that Kevin, thanks Seamus. Um, uh, because I mentioned also that you're never too, you know, it's never too late 
to engage or to, you know, get out there and even be an influencer in your seven. Like I would regard Nana Nora as being a blogger, right? And she's 85, 86 and she passes away at the 87, at 87. There's an article I read this morning of others. They call them grandfluencers. This could be a granddad or a grandmother, I guess. They're called grandfluencers. Um, and a lot of them are on TikTok. And there's a few of them of interest just before the ad break. Pauline Canna is a 95-year-old grandmother who uh, posts on TikTok uh, and she's sponsored now and makes money. I won't go into the details of how, but she's paid for her posts. Uh, And Pauline Canna, at the age of 95, gets 17,500 euro for every post that she puts up. She's got so many people following her. 17 and a half grand, 95. There's another 95-year-old. These are Americans. Helen Ruth Ellum is 95. She has the highest estimated income through Instagram at 80, at eight and a half thousand euro per sponsored post. Like a sponsored post would be a company who would say, uh, listen, granny or nana, would you post this? This is a beauty product or this is, um, you know, clothing or this is, uh, we've got footwear we're trying to sell. And she'll post it on her Instagram or another person will post it on their TikTok and they'll make eight and a half thousand on Instagram. 17,500 on TikTok. And there's a long list of them, all in their 90s. I mean, it's just incredible at the age of 95. Text 0868104106. Text the Neil Prenderville Show now. 0868104106. Red FM. A lot of texts and a lot of calls held over from yesterday. We were talking about taxis and the stats are alarming. The amount of taxis across the country and indeed in Cork that are working nights. 29% are only working nights, apparently. That's the stat. How many taxi drivers are pensioners and are afraid to turn up for work? That's one text here. Uh, you are talking talking about maybe Uber as an option. Uber is no good. Drivers aren't vetted and they have no proper insurance like us regular taxi drivers have. My insurance is 1400 a year and that's with driving 27 years with a clean license. Ask any parent how safe they would have, how safe they would feel having their son or daughter in an Uber where the driver isn't vetted and has no proper insurance. It's easy for the VFI to talk. If the staff of publicans have any trouble, they have security for help. We have no one. I haven't done nights since before the pandemic. I'm not a small guy, but me against three or four fellas in my taxi, I wouldn't stand a chance. Just with regards to those stats from yesterday, uh, we did have a couple of taxi drivers on yesterday and again this morning, including Bobby Lynch, who represents taxi drivers on Lee side. Bobby, good morning. Come on, Neil. Come on. Um, were you aware of those of those stats? Actually, uh, I was talking about them yesterday. That no, it, I, 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 I not Neil. Well, I, I, I heard of it, but I, I don't know who I, who actually came up with them. Okay, you know, okay, okay, okay. Because like the the reason, like there's a few reasons why there's a shortage of taxis, not at all in Cork, or all over Ireland, is that uh, non-transferability was stopped a few years ago by the NTA. That means that when a fellow retires, his client retires with him. Now, he has the option of leasing out that place. But a lot of fellas uh, just wants to be come, uh, detached from the place altogether because if they lease it out, their, their name is still on the place. So what happens now, to the plate when they retire? Uh, the replace uh, retires with them, and if they die, and if you haven't got a will made out, what the NTA obtained to 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 do before you die if we haven't got that will made out your player dies with you no that's that's what's causing the shortage and the and no 
when, when you talk of rural Ireland and being short of hackneys, you can't buy a hackney license anymore. You can't buy a saloon taxi pit anymore. The, no, DNT caused all this. So if I, wanted, if I wanted to become a taxi driver in the morning because it's been right. deregulated, can I apply for a taxi license and a plate? You can apply for a wheelchair taxi license. Which will cost you a, a lot of money. Only no, a wheelchair taxi o- Only license. a wheelchair, no. We have enough of wheelchairs in Cork City, as I said years ago, but the wheel, a lot of the fellas who are driving the wheelchair plates aren't doing wheelchair work. They refuse it. So, they refuse it. And you know so that the, for a fact, do you? I don't Neil, all you have to do is ask the people in, in a wheelchair. Okay, let me ask people in wheelchairs that are wheelchair users are you yeah. having trouble getting a taxi? In Cork, Therefore, that's wheelchair accessible. Text on eight six eight one zero four one zero six. What do they say? No, hang on. This is just another point. What do they say if 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 I call them up and I use a wheelchair and I say I want to book a wheelchair taxi? What do they tell me? We don't have any. Well, a lot of a lot of companies will do the, do their best to get your wheelchair uh, player, but a lot of fellas that are that are uh, driving wheelchairs won't do it. No, there is a good few lads out there that I know that are doing wheelchair work. And, and we'll do it and go the way to do it. Why Why, why but, don't the others want to do it? Because they, they, they don't want the hassle of loading people in, into the into the wheelchair bus. They don't want that hassle. I mean, no, I don't know why. They charge more, don't uh, they? Yeah. They don't. No, the exact same. Is it the, the same? exact same. Yeah. Run the meter. No, Neil, the chap from the castle, the castle in was on there yesterday. Michael O'Donovan. Yeah, that Michael said that he was talking to representatives. I never talked to Michael. Terry Carlin, Elvis, he never talked to Michael. I don't know who he was talking to, but I will tell you something, right? No, along the Northman Street, before we had taxis lined up, we had taxis outside the railings all lined up, taking people away, wherever they wanted to go. Yeah. But people were putting objections or having taxis outside in the road because it was very easy for people to go from one pub to another or there's a taxi there, we get a taxi. No, they wanted us moved. So that couldn't happen. So when they moved us then, they did away with the taxi rank in Washington Street. They put ballots up there. Stupid no. idea. That was a stupid... No. Who was complaining? Was they, it residents or what? Like, who had an issue we, with we, it? They didn't tell us. They didn't tell us. But uh, let, let me tell you this now. Would you drive up Washington Street and afraid of Sarah Sunday night when there's thousands of people released out in the street and you have a fear inside in your taxi going to Wilton or Ballancolic and someone puts their hand out for you to stop and you, you can't pick them up? What happens then? They start kicking your car. Really? That's why, yes. That's why taxi drivers aren't, aren't going up Washington Street. They're avoiding it. They're kicking the cars. No, another thing... So the, 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 the trap in the castle, do he have to put his license into a will that the government are telling him to make out before, before uh, he can pass it on? Here's what was said yesterday by <laughs> Michael O'Donnell from the VFI, that customers have a bad experience when they can't get a taxi. They have to walk home. He says that that prompts fears of public safety, particularly for young women who risk walking home are left standing alone in the city late at night. He also says that it's impacting trade because people are leaving pubs early to get a taxi to get home. So, where's the taxi rank in, around his 
uh, premises, doesn't know, and the law shifted. Why haven't the criminal about the taxi rank being shifted? Why haven't people coming on the radio need criminal that they can't get a GP appointment? They're waiting three weeks, and yet yet a person come on the radio saying, "Oh, I couldn't get a taxi service from a pub." Because to go home. because it's. Well, I mean, that's a reasonable thing to say if only 29% of taxi drivers are working at night. There's 70% of taxis not Liam, on our roads how, at night. How many, how many taxi drivers did we lose in the last two years through, through the COVID-19? We lost drivers through suicides. Their plates are all gone. That's what I'm trying to tell you. If the NTA caused this problem, and they caused it years ago when they did away with the radius, we had a six-mile radius. That meant any for the that's living, the lights of which abandoned, pantry, they had to get they had the license to walk their own area. Yeah. Now, what's happening then? They did away with the radius. Cork is the biggest taxi meter area in the country. A lot of people don't know that. We're the biggest county. People can come from the from Castletown Bear and walk Cork. They're entitled to do it. But Years ago, when the radius was there, there was never a shortage in rural Ireland because they, they had their own hackneys, they had their own taxis. So they stayed in their own area, their they own parish. They stayed in their own the, area. Yeah, no, yeah. the NTA caused this, and they were told this would happen, and they went away and did it. The NTA needs needs to open up transferability. Let a chap that, that's working 40 years, let him be able to sell his place. No, there's none of our families will come into this. And I told you a long time ago that the dearest taxi driver will come a thing of the past, and it's happening. Now, if the NTA don't wake up, there's a lot of cars, over 5,000 cars, I think, will be going off the road next year. Listen to Bob and listen to Matthew yesterday. That's right. They spoke yeah. very well. Yeah. They, they know what they're talking about as well. Yeah. But the people... They'll be forced out of the, the fleet because of the age of the car. It's a 10-year rule or something, yeah. Neil, there's a chap out there. We all know him. Jerry, Jerry, the goat, we call him, right? No. He have a car. She's, she's a 0 10. No, that car, they, it's out to come out of the showrooms. It's, everyone remarks on, on his care how clean how good yeah, it's looking yeah. now that care he can sell that care now because it, the, the age is on it he, but he's able to sell that care to anyone and they can drive that as private use but not as a taxi which is insane if it can pass an NCT it's, and the black cabs in London could be 30 or 40 years old Neil the NTA of the destroying the taxi industry. I sat in the advisory council and I saw what was going on. It's a disgrace. Absolutely disgrace. I, I how, can fella, how can the Hotel Federation tell me and tell the rest of the taxi drivers how to run our business? No, I understand we all you're saying. We, 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 we can't tell the hotels how to run their business. Why, why, what are they saying? The Hotel Federation sits on, 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 the, uh, the, on the advisory council and when, when things come up for the discussion like, like a pay rise, we get a pay rise in five years, six years. They have a say um, um, uh, how we should get our pay rise. Why would the hotels say, have a say in pay rises? Exactly. For I'd love to know that. That's but, a question I always ask. But what, uh, I know, but I, just looking at the statistics though, Bobby, they're saying... Uh, as well, that an awful lot of taxi drivers haven't come back to work after after the they pandemic. Forty percent of them haven't gone. No, Why? Neil, is I it that they're older drivers and they don't feel safe? Is it? 
they, they don't feel safe. But the thing is, Neil, the thing is, there's fellas that couldn't afford to renew their PSV. Their PSV, remember, is 250 euro. Now, they were all out with, with the pandemic. They couldn't afford to renew their license. Now their license is gone. Their PSV driving license is gone. They couldn't, they couldn't afford, no. What, what we asked the NTA to do, all them, all them lads that their license ran out, give them back their license. Don't have them sitting there. They want them to sit a test again. Yeah. A lot of fellas won't come back into it. Give them back their license. They had it. Give it back to them. The minute that license is, is out of date, they'll take it off them. You, you, you have to sit a test. Now, a lot of fellas out there will tell you, uh, no, I don't know how, how, how many people passed it first time off. I know, I know. I don't know. Is it, but it, you see, DNT is making it very, very hard for 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 people to come into the industry. No, they're advertising on the radio, become a taxi driver, it's, it's a good job. It's just in the start. You walk around hours. Believe me, and I tell anyone out there, what they're telling you is a whole lot of lies. Well, there is a report drivers. that makes the independent that says that the pandemic, I don't know whether it, it suggests yeah. the pandemic has made daytime work more lucrative, whatever that means. It's saying that working days, you make more money and it's safer than working nights. Well, and anyone, anyone will tell you that. Like, we're, we're CIE. Why aren't they, like Mara said, why aren't they open the road? Okay, yeah. I was on to, we were on to them yesterday me, regarding me, night buses. I, Asked them about that. I, I, I'll tell you now. The NTA are destroying the taxi industry. The NTA cannot, you ring them up and you ask them how many cars are operating Cork. They can't tell you. Because I can go to Dublin and rent the place and bring, I rent the car the whole lot and bring it back to Cork. Before you couldn't do that, you would have to rent. From but, e- but even in spite of that, taxis coming in from around the country, there still seems to be um, a shortage at night. Neil, there's a lot of fellas out there that would come into this game if they were able to buy a saloon taxi. They don't want to wheelchair taxi. Right. It's too okay. costly. Yeah. But the DNTA are after causing all this. People are arguing with taxi drivers. Oh, I couldn't get a taxi. Well, tough. Is it, that, that's the way you look at it, because there's other, other things other, other things out there that people are waiting on, and uh, a, a more, a more serious thing, like doctors. Okay, I know, I covered it. What about, what about Uber? Nene, would you like your family to be driving around with a fellow with no insurance? No. We have an industry that everyone is licensed and everyone is vetted. No. There's still problems in this industry. We have, we have enforcement officers that haven't got the powers to do nothing. They, they have nothing to do. All they're doing is catching, and they'll tell that they're catching the driver out there with his extinguisher out of date and stuff like that. Stuff that they don't want to do. They want to go out there, and they'll tell that they catch the real criminal. Yeah. No. If you open up and you will come into this country, Neil, is it going to be safe? I don't think so. And ask any, ask any driver out, out there. We see things happening. We report it, and there's nothing done. There's people operating in this city, and now the enforcement officers are chasing them. They can't catch them. They're from other counties. They shouldn't be in here, but they walk here. It's dangerous. And you, you are talking then about letting the crowd come in. That's uh, unlicensed, uninsured. I need you to show up. 
can, can go out in his car on the weekend and pick up your kids and my kids and, and bring them you home. don't know who the yeah you don't know who you're in you the don't car know. Neil just yeah. has comments you, you, you in, don't know who's in I the mean, car there's no guard of vetting and uh, you know it could be a, night, it could be a nighttime pickup with yeah. somebody who was let, had a few let, too let many me, drinks or whatever yeah. let me Take tell you on a, Saturday, on a Saturday night when people are drunk inside in town Washington Street they'd hop into a wee alibi to get home yeah. and that's the honest truth yeah. Yeah. so I, 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 we would be fully against them operating in this country as as private cars. Okay. Okay. You, 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 you would have people on the radio to every Monday morning. Oh, I was attacked by an overdriver. Yeah. I, I was assaulted. Yeah. Do, do, you want, do you want that happening in, in our city? No, good point. We, no, I mean, it's just... A, we, have just... A city, we have a city council that adds the problem too. They did away with the taxi ranks. Neil, I, I, I'll ask you to drive up Washington Street on a Saturday night when everyone has been released out into the streets and you, sometimes you can't get up the street or all out in the road. Yeah, No, I have picked people up late at night, maybe not two o'clock in the morning, but I'm amazed at the amount of people <laughs> who are out and socialising, particularly in that area. It's sad that they're kicking the cars, though. It's sad that they Neil, kick the Neil, it's, it's a disgrace. And right. the taxi drivers that do walk nights, right? They walk through the pandemic, they did everything. And the government did nothing for us. You remember that. Right. We had pensioners out there that got no pop payment and they had to survive in the pension and they had no other choice but to walk and there was no walk out there. And they they kept things going. No, when it comes to renewing their licenses and stuff, they have to have a car less than nine years old. I know. It's I a know. disgrace. All right. And okay. they, they worked hard. No. What, 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 what I'd like for, for you to do, you're the other people reporting and everything, come out and see what's happening. And then you see it for yourselves. You don't have to be asking me anymore what's happening on the Saturday night. Come out and see it for yourselves. I'll make it happen. I don't know that it can happen this Saturday night, but I certainly will make it happen. We'll have a chat about it at midday. Bobby, thanks for taking the call. I'm going to get some more calls thanks. after time. Cheers. Take care. Thanks, thanks Taxi driver Bobby Lynch. I'm Rory. And I'm Valerie. And you can join us for the very best in local, national and international sport every weekend on The Big Red Bench. That's The Big Red Bench. Every Saturday and Sunday from 6 on Cork's Red FM. Get it off your chest. Text The Neil Brinderville Show now. 086-8104-106. Red FM. And so if uh, nothing changes with regards to the long term, it'll be lovely over the weekend and really, really nice next week. And you might want to scoop one of our family passes for a tourist attraction around Cork City and County. And my God, we have an awful lot of them to give away. Download the Explore Cork app. 850 places to see and things to do around Cork. And we've featured so many of them over the recent weeks and yesterday we had family passes for Spike Island so we have more family passes to give away this morning for another chosen destination for you and the family Uh, and I'll let you know about that a little later on Uh, if you weren't spoiled enough Westlife are in town of course on the 13th of uh, August which is Saturday week and Red FM have pairs of tickets to see Westlife at Porky Cueve to give away right across the day this week and I believe next week as well. So listen out for that. I'll tell you some more about it throughout the course of the morning. Can I just say um, that 
during yesterday's conversation about taxis or availability of taxis or whether Uber would be a good idea or not, taxi drivers around the air with me were suggesting that I should also be talking to Bus Erin um, with regards to night buses because that would solve a huge problem. So we did bang off an email to uh, Bus Erin Press yesterday at buserin.ie um, asking that very question. Like we were asking questions like if you compare Cork to the Nightlink service in Dublin, there are 14 routes uh, which branch out right across Dublin City, right, 14 of them, and that enables people to use public transport to travel through the overnight hours, right through the night, yeah? Oh, yeah, and not a bother. Cork has one. So there are 14 routes through the night in Dublin. Cork has one, and that's the 220 between Ovens and Carrigaline. So that's clearly wanting. Now, they could say that when Bus Connect comes along, that will all improve. Maybe they have some improvements that could well be in the planning for now. I don't know, but we've asked them anyway. Why is there just one service in Cork operating between 12 a.m. and 6 a.m., you know, midnight and 6 in the morning? And are there plans to increase the number of night services in the city apart from the plans contained in Bus Connect? Because if Bus Connect goes through, it could be 2028, could be 2030. If we actually see it completely finished, because nothing will happen there won't be a Kango hammer on the ground for a few years yet. So we'll see what they say when they come back on that topic. But if I could just stay with texts on that uh, and others from yesterday's programme, if you don't mind. I drove a taxi for 20 years. I finished up three months ago. The main reason drivers are leaving the industry is the nine-year taxi car rule. I must now buy a six-year-old taxi for 20 grand and get three years out of it and then another 20 grand every three to four years. That nine-year rule is just stupid. It's stupid. If the car is in perfect condition and can pass an NCT, what the hell is going on? I'm a taxi driver in West Cork and I can tell you the pubs were in trouble well before this so-called taxi issue. The problem, particularly during the week, is that the vast majority of people in rural areas are commuting up to Cork. Uh, I couldn't get a taxi at 6pm on a Sunday in Bandon two weeks ago. Uh, two weeks ago, Bring on Uber, says Mick. Uh, the taxi driver, it's the taxi driver's choice to work day or night. We use taxis mostly at night. Um, wait till we do have buses in the night. Then taxi drivers will have something to give out about. Bring on Uber if only for the night shifts. Morning, all hackney drivers did not get taxi licenses. I'm a hackney driver and I would love to have a taxi license, but they can't be got. One person I know gave up driving his taxi and he can't do anything with a license. He can hold on to it for 18 months and then it lapses. I'd take it. It's crazy. And one final one. Uber cars are not insured to carry passengers. They are private cars with private insurance. Bear that in mind. So keep those texts coming. Text 0868104106. Pick up the phone on 0818104106 and we'll talk after the break. Get it off your chest. Call Neil Prenderville now on 0818104106. Red FM. And we'll come back to texts and emails throughout the course of the morning, but I want to chat with Emma because she's been waiting for a, a while there. In fact, she sent me a beautiful email or text last week and I wanted to pick up on it. Emma, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you? I'm well, thanks. Now, I will talk about uh, your very close friend, Juliana, in a moment, if you don't mind. But I was just really uh, taken aback by your own life story and where you find yourself now with with cancer and illness. Do you mind me just, if I start there? Because part part of your email said that being adopted, you didn't have information and you didn't have access to medical records of your birth parents and the form of cancer that you got was hereditary. 
That's correct, yes. How, and yes. how does that make you feel, that if you had known and had access to medical records of your of your family, you probably would have gone for regular screening? Um, I'll be honest, it is what it is. There's, you know, there's no point looking back and going, what if? Um, but it does, for me personally, it does stress that people do need to know their medical history. Adopted children should have the right to know, you know, what could be ahead of them. Yes. Um, did my biological parents know they carried this gene? I don't know. Um, it was only the, the day I was diagnosed, they said it was hereditary. And then I went about doing genetic testing in 2016 yeah. in Dublin, because at the time I couldn't get it done in court, so I had to get it done in Dublin. And they confirmed that, yes, and it just, for my own, I did it, the reason why I did it was actually so that we knew what chemotherapy to use towards fighting the bowel cancer. Yeah, yeah. You, you see, know, because we all got... I don't know, did you get it uh, through the door the other day, a pamphlet from the HSE saying that everybody will have access, that they've set up a new department now where you can access all of your birth records, everything and anything to do with you, uh, details of how you can trace parentage and things like that. Did you get one of those? I actually did. I got it last week. Um, now, back in 2004, 2005, they did the same thing. They, did a, they set up a contact registry don't ever know what ha- I registered for that. Don't know whatever happened to it. Yeah. Um, with False start, one, was it? Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I, I don't know whether they did a trial run or what it uh, was, yeah, but yeah. Um, that was way back in 2004, 2005. And with this one, I actually went on the website the other day to have a look at it. Um, but to be honest, with everything else going on, um, now I have, I've been assured that the biological parents are aware that I'm not, you know, that I'm not well and that it is a genetic condition. So, I've done my bit that way, morally. I've told them, look, all the family needs to be tested. Oh, I know, I, I I so I'm not going to pry there, but you're saying that you, you've been in touch with your biological parents. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. yeah. 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 And yeah. I have informed them through through social services that they, they do need to do testing so gotcha. whether yeah. they, you know it's up to her now up to them now whether they inform their children or not um, where did it start out was it uh, diagnosis of rectal cancer was it start yeah in 2000 October 2013 um, so I had been bleeding for several months but I ignored it uh, in 2012 I, I play a lot of I, at the time I was playing a lot of tennis so I decided I'd do personal training and I so my diet and everything changed. And that Christmas, I noticed in 2012, I noticed that there was bleeding and my stomach wasn't reacting as well with foods. So I thought, oh, it's the change of diet. You know, I'm drinking more at Christmas. Um, but my mum happened to be ill at the same time. And in February 2013, she was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. So she was given six months so I ignored all my symptoms then because I was just pushing mine down to change of lifestyle yeah. and stress and what have you. Stress looking after your mum who had pancreatic yeah. cancer and sadly she passed away, didn't she? Yeah, She did. She passed away August August the 10th actually next week uh, in 2013 and then 10 weeks later I was diagnosed with the stage 3. It had gone to... It was, it was that going beyond the rectum. It was. It had gone to your hip bone and uh, 
uh, well, it hadn't at that stage. Yeah. Um, so when lungs. I was initially diagnosed, there was talk of the lungs. Um, but with all the chemotherapy and radiation that I had, the, the lungs always stayed steady. Um, and then in 2015, so I, I, I had taken all of 2014 off work. And in 2015, I went back to work on the phase and basis work have been very good to me. Yeah. Um, in 2015, then I went back to work and I had to, my scans at this stage were every six months. So the lungs, it had, the, the lungs had fired up again. So we were given a prognosis, maybe two, two and a half years, depending on treatment. So to live? We, yeah. Okay. How was that? How was that news taken by your good self? It was a shock. It was, it was actually, I was very upset. I was, um, I, but in those couple of years, the lungs never really affected me. It's, you know, I was sick. I was sick an awful lot and I was in and out of hospitals an awful lot and I had a lot of surgeries. Um, but come 2018, I was flying. I, 2018 started off a great year, 19, great year. Uh, 20 was a good year. Bar issues, I have a stoma from the rectal cancer. So now I, I, I poop into a bag. <laughs> um, but I was back playing tennis, I was doing the gym, I was walking, I was doing everything. And then last September, I got a t- I had my scan, my six monthly scan, and I got a telephone call on the Friday evening to say not go on course anymore. I wasn't allowed to play tennis in case I fractured my hip, that I, the cancer had spread to my hip and my, yeah, my hip. So we started radiation and that all went well. And then on New Year's Eve, I felt a pain. I felt I thought it was a groin strain. That's I haven't been doing anything, so obviously not allowed to play tennis. Um, and a week later, I went into the hospital on the Monday, on the Friday morning at nine o'clock, and by two o'clock, I was told I had another tumor in my hip and one in my liver. So um, I've been using a crutch now ever since, and a rollator. And the pain. This this one has actually hit me a lot harder than the lungs. I'll be honest. I go to Cork Ark an awful lot. Um, Are you saying that because, psychologically in your head? Yeah, it's, mentally it, it, it yeah. destroyed me. Yeah, Did it? yeah, Did it? yeah. It's because I felt with the lungs they never affected me, but with the hip, I'm feeling it all the time. Every day, I'm in pain. You know, I'm in pain all the time, um, and it's just unfortunately it's. It's realistic this time around. I, you know, I'm kind of going, oh, I have two tumours in a matter of weeks. That's never any, or well, three tumours in a matter of weeks is never never good news. Um, but they're steady at the moment. They're stable. And so I... Why do you sound to me so positive, almost bordering optimistic? That's who I am. Yeah. <laughs> yes, that's who I've always... Um, I, I, my dad, I live with my dad and... We get on extremely well. He's 83. It's very tough for him. He lost his wife. And then 10 weeks later, his daughter is coming home saying she has cancer. Um, Mm -hmm. So I would have always been positive anyway. And I'm on antidepressants. I won't lie. I'm on antidepressants. And if I feel that my bubble is leaking, I re-increase those antidepressants. I'm... I I couldn't handle it otherwise. Yes. Yes. And as I said, I do go to Cork Arc um, for support because... I, could, I just can't do it on my own. I can't. Um, 
and you know with Cork Arc you can go in and say what you want and you leave and it's like the weight has been lifted off I'm delighted that that service is available to so many people who can reach out and use it you know that diagnosis that prognosis of two and a half you, I mean two and a half years you, you know you, you, you knocked that out of the ballpark that was like five years ago six years ago yeah. I mean, do you yeah. think do you think that people should be given? Because some people buy into that and they live their life like like a, like as if there's a stopwatch ticking. Um, they probably. I mean, my prognosis this time round isn't great, but I would believe it more than what I would have back then. Been yeah. Back then. But did you? I mean, I, did you buy into the two and a half years and just say, "Well, that's it. I have two and a half years now. What am I going to do with it?" Or did you just say, "I'm not accepting that number." Um. No, I probably just went with it. I kind of went, oh, yeah, okay. We'll just get on with life now and do what we can do. Um, and then there were times when I was so sick that we really did think this is the end. Do you know, I was in for pneumonia. I was in several times with different uh, illnesses and viruses and what have you. And you'd go, God, I wonder. But um, then as time goes on, it was, oh, all right, okay. You know, we're getting this extra time, let's. Uh, what we do. How did you feel, say, over the last couple of years, because you were dealing with very severe illnesses, you know, very, very serious illnesses, and COVID comes along and it knocks all of us, um, you know, off our um, oh, routine and you're, you're into lockdown and, and your clock continues to tick and you're being robbed of this valuable time? I'll be honest. I, I love my own company. I think I'm hilarious. So I can, <laughs> you know, it doesn't... I'm, I'm one of these, I could sit here quite happily and not talk to anyone all day and go, yeah, that's grand, that's fine. COVID, as I said, I, I'm with my dad. So, yeah, we, we went through, we were going to kill each other. Now, at the time, I was having issues with my stoma. And before, I would have been going into the hospital every couple of days to meet the stoma nurse. But unfortunately, with COVID, that had to stop. I know. So my GP I, yeah, took it over. yeah. And I know the medical stuff needs to be done and, uh, you know, maybe that got a bit knocked knocked about for you. But I'm probably thinking more about the things you wanted to do with the time that you had, that you were saying, God almighty, I, I have limited time and I want to do this, that, I want to go here, I want to see this. Was that going through your mind at all? No. <laughs> Honestly, no. Um, <coughs> excuse me, sorry, I had cold last take week. Your time, um, take your time, I... I would be very I'm very content at home and meeting friends for coffee so yes COVID was it was it was it was very difficult because even my niece and nephew now we couldn't see them and my my sister who lives over the road and friends couldn't see them um that was difficult and we did all the zoom calls and what have you but so content is a lovely word because say for me if if I was told okay you have two years at the most I probably would Stop work, right? Sell everything. Co- create a bucket list that would take me all over the world to see things I wanted to do. Well, I could still do them, you know. Take cruises, long train journeys, see areas that I wanted to see. You know, I'd be, I'd be anxious. I'd be, I'd be in a hurry. You know, hurry. That and I, yes. Now, but you see, unfortunately, financially, I can't afford to do the, those kind of things. So, you know when I got diagnosed and I'm, I'm very lucky I have my health insurance through work and work has been very good you know I'm still on the books in work yeah. um, and I have my health insurance but financially I did take a big drop because I'm not getting my salary Yeah, you know so um, it is day to day living for me um, 
and as I said, I have, I am a homebird. I have become a homebird, yeah. and I suppose COVID has made that probably worse. Um, but I, in the last several weeks now, I have been making more of an effort. You know, I was away at a wedding recently, and initially, when February, March, when I was on the chemo, and I was really struggling with the chemotherapy, yeah, sick, yeah. I was saying to them, "Look, lads." If I can do the ceremony, that will be, you know, I'll be delighted. You know, I'll get down for the ceremony and come home again. But I ended up staying there till one o'clock in the morning. I get notions, yeah. Yeah, yeah, So I have turned a corner. And I think with COVID, initially I would have been more cautious, you know, with COVID that I wouldn't want to be sitting inside. I didn't want to be meeting groups of people because... If I got ill, Dad would have to look after me, whereas if Dad got ill, I, I could look after him. Um, no, but I know what mine would be more, God forbid, probably would be a bit more serious yeah. if I got yeah. it. Yeah. Um, yeah, it would. So, yeah, I, but I am. I'm very, I'm very happy with my lot, if that makes sense. I have no regrets. It is what it is, and I just have to deal with this as, as best I can and take the painkillers take the antidepressants who knows I mean you you fought through it the last time who's to say that you won't do it again do you look at the world differently or things around you or do you ignore the inconsequential um I would say I I would I would I say ignore it do you know I would I suppose I have over the years I've become a better listener in that, so when people are talking to me, you know, they'll say, oh, such and such a thing is bad. But in comparison to you, what you're going through, it's nothing. Like, but everything is relative. Yeah. You know, it's relative to what is going on in your life at the moment. Um, but I, then there's other things and I'm going, oh, really, for God's sake, get over. That's what you I know? mean. Yeah, you wonder. Like yeah. as, as, you, as you get older, I, I, I kind of find that. I, I I probably don't care about things that uh, you know. Yeah, I, my I tolerance levels have my tolerance dropped, are, and I, I probably I probably will reach a stage uh, at some stage where I will end up telling people to f off. You know. That yeah. Do you know what yeah, I mean? Because yeah. it, it won't really yeah. it won't really matter anymore. I'll be able to say those things. So what what does it matter well, if, that, I, if, I, know, if I'm I totally honest with everybody? You know. That yeah, I find um, I do you know I my friends are the support I've gotten from the the minute mum was diagnosed not even when I was but when mum was diagnosed my friends have been just unbelievable they've um, the support has been immense and I couldn't I don't think I could have gotten through the last several years without their help and support particularly and, Juliana right yeah yeah so yeah Juliana is a we we met when we were in secondary school. And even though our lives went very different ways, she's married with children and she would have settled a lot earlier than I would have. I went off to college in Dublin and I've, you know, I did the summer in the States and I did Australia and I would be ringing her house and her partner and I'd be reversing the charges. This was before mobiles. So, <laughs> you know, that's how back, far back our friendship goes that I'd ring them in the middle of the night after I'd had a few drinks thinking they'd love to talk to me with reverse charges and um, (laughs) and since the diagnosis she has just she if I need to go so so recently I had to go to Dublin for to meet a surgeon in relation to getting a hip reconstruction and um, first to offer to bring me there you know that she'd do all the driving when I was going to the wedding in Kerry even though she wasn't invited she was coming with me 
to be my chauffeur. Yeah. And so it's just, it's a friendship we've had. And as I said, even though we've, where our lives have gone different ways, when I moved back to Cork in 2004, so it was coming up to my 30th, I was, you know, I was coming back single. It was all, yay, party time. She had young children, but herself and her now husband, Ray, were so good to me. If I said I wanted to go out, we were going out, and that was yeah, it. Yeah, and, yeah. you know, she just, in all the years, she's always looked after me, and we've gone through a lot together, both, you know, losing parents, etc. Mm. And it's just a friendship that when we were talk- when you were talking last week, you know, I was going, I really, I'd love to acknowledge it, but I had, a, I had quite a bad cold, dare I say, man flu. And I uh, <laughs> I couldn't talk on the phone. Man flu is a thing, it. you know. Man flu is a oh, thing. Oh, it is. I know. I, I'm telling people. I <laughs> it had is a, it, it is a much worse strain of flu than women get. It. It's real. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, I feel I had a slight dose of it now. I mean, it wasn't the real man flu, but I, I felt I had enough to say oh people God. don't understand that this and that one or two. My humour can be... Um, Why do women say to men, get over it? That's, yeah. Yeah. Give us a break. And my humour will be quite dark. And I think somebody going, Jesus, give me the cancer anyway. I can't handle the summer cold at all. It's, um, oh, no so, no yeah, regrets, my, no? No regrets? No, 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 no. It was all, all, all good. All, so yeah, it is. Look, life is what it is. And I just have to... It ain't I, over I'm yet, Emma. It. it ain't over no, yet. No, And I'm getting out, you know, since... May now I've been making an effort. I go to a lot of the tennis tournaments because I chat away to everyone and anyone. So where did you play when you were playing? Where were you playing? Uh, Sunday's well. Oh, very um, posh. Oh, very posh. Oh, that's I tell you now. I, you never I played Argadine down in West Cork. Apparently, it's a it's a it's a it's long you. it's a long. Have you played it? Yeah, many 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 years ago. Be a good ten years now. Um, but it is it's beautiful down there. It's just yeah. Yeah, it's. Uh, have you? Yeah, no, I do. I, have you been to Wimbledon? Did you go to the French? You didn't go to. Um, went to Flushing Wimbledon Meadows? several when I was younger, um, but haven't gone to. And to be honest, since I received, uh, not since I received, it wasn't a gift. It was a, a life saving. Since I got my stoma, I'm very. Uh, now I I myself will be cautious of where I go because. At this, for a while, I was having problems with it leaking, etc. The bag, yeah. So yeah, the bag leaking. So I would need to make sure I know where the bathrooms are. Were you self-conscious of that then? Oh, very, yeah. very, yeah. Um, whereas now, I mean, now I laugh it off. I, you know, it's kind of a oh god, here we go again, whatever. Um, but over the years, it's amazing actually how many people I have met in Cork alone who have the bag yeah. and. You know, I only met somebody recently and he was saying, you're the first person I've met a real person with a bag. Yeah. That's what's kind of going to do. I know loads of people. I'll, I'll set you up with loads of people in court. Yeah. Um, but it's until, I suppose it's like anything, it's until you go through it that you don't realise how then many you others. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Then you notice. Yeah. So, um, no. So, I mean, I, I keep saying I'd love to go to Wimbledon again, but at, now, I, now I just don't have the energy. Oh, I no. need a nana nap. Every day I, I go know. for a little snooze on the couch. I, um, I am going away for a week with my dad and it's the first holiday in a long time and I'm anxious about it. I'm kind of going, Jesus. Where yeah, are you going? Sorry. Uh, we're going to Portugal. 
Oh, why be anxious? Just let go and enjoy. Oh, no. I, I'm like a child. I was singing at him yesterday and he told me to shut up. I said, we're going to have a long, it's going to be a long couple of weeks. Yeah, I, I know. I know. Yeah, it's, and it's tough on your dad as well, watching his daughter in. Oh, it's shock. In. And I mean, I've in the last time when I was on chemotherapy, the last session, because I was getting so ill after the each round, um, norm, as I said, normally I'd go to art. I'd let all the tears out there. You know, I'd let the anger there, but I came, I was down at the shop and I came home and I literally sobbed into his arms. And it's the first time in years that I've really let it out and cried and cried into his shoulders. And he just said, I mean, you have to stop the chemo. He said, this can't go on. So for him to say it, it made it easier when my oncologist turned around and said, look, we'll give you a break from it. Because I knew dad then was happy with it. He's seen me, he's seen me go reach rock bottom sitting at home going I can't cope I can't do anything I don't want to see people which isn't me I know Ah, but it must be very tough radiation and chemotherapy it's just horrifically difficult but so have you said now that you don't want any more that just let it be and what will be will be Um, we're kind of yes kind of now we're talking so I had my scan recently and everything is stable Um. I have another scan now in October, so my scans now are every three months, and he was kind of saying, we might look at chemo again, and I was going, yeah, we'll see, yeah, we'll see, I know. but I'm not, put, I'm not, put, because for me now, it is quality rather than quantity, yeah, yeah, you know, I yeah. want to be able to go out and enjoy and meet my friends and have the laugh rather than taking the chemotherapy and just sitting at home and not being able to do and anything. And you know something, and that's a decision only you can make, you know? Yeah, it is. And yeah. it's, a, it's a very, you know, after when bowel cancer babe in the UK, when she passed away. So and, young. Yeah. yeah, so young. And you're kind of going, God, am I making the right decision? And I just feel a bit of guilt. But as I said, once I know dad is behind whatever decision I make, then that makes it easier for me. I know, I know. I'm not going to shower you with accolades or inspirational titles because that'll sound quite condescending of me, you know, but, you know, you are. You're a powerful woman. You really and truly are. I'd love to have Um, I'd love to have chats with you down the track, you know, see how things are going. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, I am. No, I I have been doing a Facebook page. You have the big C, Emma's Journey. People can follow it on Facebook. Yeah. Yeah. So I've been doing that now. And that, even the support from that has been you know, thousands of people on it who I don't know. And it's just the support. As I said, everything, it, it's the support. That's how, I, that's, I suppose that is why I would be so positive in that the support that I'm receiving from friends, from people I don't know, it all, it all makes a difference. It all helps mentally, yeah. um, which obviously I think then helps physically as well. So it's all, and I'm lucky my neighbours are great. I just, you know, I have a good circle. Mm. I have a good circle. Yeah, not once did I hear any bitterness or why me out of you, to be quite honest. Not once. No, do you know what? If it wasn't me, it was going to be somebody else. Neil, the way Um, I look at it is, um, I I mean, okay, I don't have children and sometimes I regret that I don't have children, but then I go, geez, I couldn't, I can't manage myself. Yeah. And an 83-year-old, don't mind having 10-year-olds running around, you know? I know. I just have to go, right, well, this is my, it is what it is, and sure, look, we'll just make the most of it and hope it stays sunny. <laughs> <laughs> Enjoy Portugal. It'll certainly be sunny there. <laughs> That's yes. 
as well probably be hiding in the shade for the whole week. <laughs> You'd be just like me. Yeah. I like being there but not under the sun. Are you the same? Oh God, yeah. Yeah, yeah factor 50 all the way. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, it's lovely to chat and I would love to chat again in the future, you know. It'd be nice to stay in touch, see how things are going for you. I guarantee you oh, there's yeah. an awful lot of people listening to this conversation who will find it very inspiring. God knows what people are going through listening to me any day of the week, but I bet people will find our conversation on your behalf very powerful and it will help them. So thank you for that. Oh, you're, do you know what, Neil? I'll do anything to pr- create awareness for bowel cancer. That's, I do a lot for, um, for breakthrough cancer and cork arc. And that's another thing with Juliana. Sorry, now I'm going to keep, I could talk for hours. Um, in recent years, I, I've been going to a lot of balls. I do TV, you know, I do different things now for the two, uh, to charity yeah. and Juliana dresses me for every occasion Fair play to her. So, hey, <laughs> so if anybody like notices any changes or anything really should get a colonoscopy is that it? Oh, definitely. Yeah. yeah, my saying, my saying from day one: any lumps, bumps, or blood, take note. See your GP. If your GP is going, no, you're too young. Try and go somewhere else. You're never. Unfortunately, cancer doesn't care who you are or what ages we've are, seen. What color yeah. you are, yeah. it doesn't matter. And they are saying in recent years that the amount of younger people being diagnosed with bowel cancer changes in lifestyle, etc. Um, but yeah, so for me. It was the bleeding, but any pains in stomach, you know, if you're more tired than anything, just just take note of it for maybe a week or two and go and see your GP. Don't ignore. It's like everything. So, Don't ignore, yeah. whether it's cervical, yeah. whether it's prostate with men or anything like that. Yeah. Don't just think, ah, yeah. sure, it's nothing, it'll go away. Don't exactly. you go away. Don't be a stranger. Listen, take some, you, you need to go on one or two of our um tourist attractions uh, around the beautiful county of Cork. Either you are with Juliana or Juliana and her kids. Would you ever think about that? I'd love to send you or Juliana or a bunch of you off, you know, to a Spike Island or a Skibbereen Heritage oh, Centre, wow. you know, to photo. We've got these family passes. I'd love to maybe think about, you to think about that and come up with what you'd like to go and do, you know? Well, I'm, I'm, I'll do anything. I'm going to the county of Cork. It certainly is. So go talk to your dad or talk to Juliana. I'll put you back on hold and the lads will tell you what I have different family passes for. It's a big, long list of them. You have something nice to look forward to maybe at the weekend when the weather gets a bit nicer. Oh, brilliant. Thank you very much. Thank you. <laughs> the small things might mean so much to you, Emma. Lovely, oh, God, I tell you. <laughs> lovely chatting with you. Stay in touch. Good luck going and forward. And you, Neil. Take care. Take Thank care. You. Bye. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818 104 Cork's Red FM. Uh, what a strong woman. Um, incredible. Incredible what she's been through and how philosophical she is about it all. Thank you, Emma. Text 0868 Pick up the phone on 0818 106. From yesterday's program, I was talking about the, um, you know, the English uh, soccer result uh, with regards to beating the Germans and soccer coming home and football coming home. Uh, you are saying that England go over the top. No, they don't. It is we who don't do enough to be proud of our stars. Look at Katie Taylor. That girl is an Olympic gold medalist. She was a world champion at amateur level and a world champion who changed women's boxing forever. We never lauded her. She's a megastar in the USA and the UK, but not here. Well, if she's not, it's news to me. Um, I mean, maybe maybe we didn't do enough after the homecoming, but uh, thank you for that text. I, no, I, I, I was delighted for England because I thought that the... Uh, Women played a great game of football. In fact, I thought the women's game looked fantastic. Watching it, it was much more enjoyable than watching the men's. You know, the flowing game, the passing, the headers, the 
you know, they just kept at it. There was no messing, no histrionics. I was just mentioning the afterwards, you know, on your Sky and on your BBC and the British newspapers. I just think that they go over the top. You don't agree. You think we don't do enough. So thank you for that. Uh, staying with sport um, from the events on Sunday with regards to the Cork City uh, Cove game. City supporters were disgraced going up and down the streets of Cove. The vulgari- vulgarity out of them was despicable. It was very scary. We don't want them coming back to Cove again. Why are people trivialising the incident by describing what happened as unfortunate? This is to do with the push forward and the collapsible barrier after the Cork City goal. It sounds like a miracle to me that no one was seriously injured or killed. I'd punish both clubs now with big fines for unacceptable behaviour that will eventually result in fatalities. How will you stop it though? I mean, the fences are collapsible for a reason so that people don't get crushed. I mean, would you stop both teams? Would you stop soccer teams celebrating a goal? Would you stop them going over to their fans? Uh, you wouldn't see any of this carry on at your local GA hurling or football derby amongst the fiercest rivals. You wouldn't even see it at national level. Uh, soccer draws are inherent hooligan mentality uh, opposed to the crack to the, and the banter that GAA brings. Uh, okay, well, you're entitled to that. Um, one or two more here. Listening to the lad from the GAA, it's like comparing apples with pears. The GAA is funded to have 200 stewards. Cork or Cove don't get the same subsidies for volunteers. The GAA gets funding to do all of these things. It seems the best advice is not to take your children to these football games because the clubs seem to be bl- blaming the parents as usual. At least that's what was said on your program. Uh, the reality is Mickey Mouse clubs have pure fools following them. Well, I mean, what a sweeping statement. Then lots on cycling and uh, cyclists and what have you in the changing face of our city. So I will come back to all of that. Just um, earlier we were hearing from Bobby Lynch that unfortunately all too often taxi drivers who have uh, wheelchair accessible taxis, they'd be more of the big adapted wheelchair taxis that would have been a van that are adapted into a taxi. They're fantastic. They look brilliant and they're great inside. He was saying that a lot of the time you find, they find that those with wheelchair accessible taxis do not take people who have wheelchairs because there's just too much hassle behind it. Uh, Or people who have uh, issues regarding sight and reminded me of my chat with Ashling Kane who was on, I don't know, about a fortnight ago. And she was talking about the difficulties in getting a taxi as a blind person, right? So you got people with wheelchairs having a problem, people who are blind having a problem, people who are blind with guide dogs. This is Ashling. Taxis, at the moment, um, I try to avoid taxis um, when I can. If it came to getting a taxi now or walking, I would walk. Um, because I just find that a, a lot of taxi drivers are very... When they do take you, uh, they'd be talking about, oh, the, the amount of hair that the dog is going to leave in the car, the smell the dog is going to leave in the car. They won't get... No, uh, the next customer that they'll, um, that they'll be talking about, the smell of the dog. And I've had one refusal... And um, I know a lot of people that have had refusals as well with their dogs. Yeah, there's a report out recently regarding people complaining about taxis, right, to the NTA. Uh, And a lot of them actually have been complaining about the condition and cleanliness of taxis, with a lot of people complaining about staining on the seats and the smell from the taxi being appalling. I'm just wondering whether some of those smells might have been from dogs. More complained, though, that uh, taxi drivers were refusing to take their guide dog um, and they were subsequently fined for that, which means that's got to be illegal, doesn't it? It has, yeah, it is, yeah. It's illegal not to take a blind person where a sight, an unsighted person or limited sighted person with a guide dog, yeah. is it? 
Oh, it is, yeah. Um, I actually know one, I, I know a girl and she has a family member that's actually a taxi driver and he's gone as far as, he's got no allergies whatsoever and he's gone as far as getting his GP to write a letter so to say that he's allergic to dogs when he's not and then um, he can produce this to say that he's allergic to dogs and he can't take you. That's awfully unfair, isn't it? Getting a false uh, GP statement. Uh, anyway, back to the phone lines we go. That was Ashley Kane. Paul, good morning. Hey, good morning, Neil. How are you? Paul, you're a taxi driver. Did you work Saturday? I, I did, yeah. Day and or I night? Well, yeah. I, 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 I did it with the boat, you know, a few hours and a few hours there. Okay. okay, so you don't mind me saying what you said to the lads. You you made less than €40 euro for six hours I, last I, Saturday I, I, and it was €25 euro yeah, diesel. Yeah, no, no, I didn't say Saturday. I said Monday. It was a midweek. I didn't I'm say sorry. Saturday. Okay, I'm sorry. So, so one day last night, I was down for five, six hours. I made €40 euros and I put €25 euro diesel in, in my car. Yeah. So that's my experience. So, but but listen, we, we talk about all these problems in the taxi driver. One of my suggestions would be would be to every single taxi driver cop to sign a petition to abolish this nine-year rule and increase it to fifteen years. That's step number one. And remind that's people step- who are coming late to the program about the nine-year rule again. But it's, it's a temporary every car has to be replaced. And, 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 and get a new car or set a car set a car that, 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 be, that will be How did you guys years. accept that when that rule was introduced? Why, why did I you accept it? I, I, I just don't know I was blind and innocent and we all make mistakes but the bottom line every title should, should sign a petition and not alone every title every every Kerry every Rawlwood Dublin and get them all together and, and, and put that to the NTA and, 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 and really do the whole in them, you know? And do what? Make it 15 years, 20 years? Why, why, not, why not a taxi can be a taxi as long as it's clean, it passes a exactly. hygiene inspection want, and it's got an pass, NCT? Want, exactly. I want to pass the, the NCT and the suitability test, you know? It's insane. Let's get and on also, to the NCT they, about they that. And also, they should love taxi to sell on the license and car while well, still in use. Uh, if it includes this 15 year old, you know, I'm pushing on all like a lot of other tech drivers, and um, like the bottom line is that, like, also before before any of us die, to be able to sell an old license and all car, whichever, to, uh, to, 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 to a person that wants to come into the business. I was going to ask the NTA about that rule and ask them to how they can justify it. Are, are, are young people coming into the taxi business, though, or are, are, are taxi drivers getting older? I don't think they are because it costs a lot of money to put a car on the road. It's true what Bobby Lynn said. I mean, uh, for instance, like I, I was one Saturday there about two, so I was very watching the street. Now, they didn't kick my car, but they started banging on the bonnet. And I was absolutely kind of afraid that they, they, they might... They might so just had whatever. That's a no-go area in future. So that's the but reason the, main, the taxi the main, drivers the just thing, don't want to be out at that hour. The, the, main, the main thing is a petition sign by every car taxi driver, the same in Dublin, the same hours, the same in Ireland, and abolish that. That's where the penny is. Uh, that's where the liberal but that was a bad particular day midweek. Forty euro for six hours and twenty five euros. Well, it's summertime. It's summertime. People not you know. Sometimes you can be lucky. Other times unlucky. I was unlucky that day. But I just, I just. That wouldn't be a typical day, though, would it? Um. Well, every day is different with me. Yeah. Yeah. You know, every day is a different story. Like you'd need to be making 
a couple of hundred a day, really, to make it justifiable, wouldn't you, with tax and insurance and all the different well, costs of the well, car? And, and show me a tax, it makes a couple of hundred pounds by a day, and I, 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 I keep my head off it. <laughs> I know, and no, I'm just saying, you, you, that's what you'd need, like, wouldn't you? Because it's taxable, there's expenses, you have to take the diesel or the petrol off it. You know, it's hard money. It's hard earned. And, 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 and of course, we must produce a tax certificate every year, otherwise you won't be able to renew it. That's right. Yeah. You have yeah. the accounting fees to be fair as well. Yeah. So the whole issue with the main thing, I have to repeat myself, a petition to be signed by every tax to abolish the 10 year old and increase the fee or whatever the case may be. And every tax should do that. That's, All right, that's, Paul. that's my main concern. Well said. And Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Okay, cheers. Take care. Okay, a lot of this started uh, with, uh, well, one of the questions yesterday being asked is to as to whether Uber would be a way forward if there aren't enough taxis. The point being that, firstly, they were saying that 29% of taxi drivers in Ireland are working at night, and they're saying there's 30% fewer taxi drivers working in Ireland, and 40% of those that are didn't go back to the taxis after the pandemic. And that's why there's not as many around, and you're hearing from taxi drivers who stay the hell away from Washington Street on a busy night. You know, we mentioned insurance yesterday on the topic of motor insurance. I'm with It's For Women. Oh, before you ask, Neil, they also insure men. Well, if they insure men, why do they call it It's For Women? My premium is €90 cheaper than last year. I was getting ready to shop around for a better offer when they rang me and offered to look into my premium and get me a better deal. Sure enough, they dropped another €70 while I was on the phone. Can't recommend them highly enough. Yeah, and if you... Get on the phone and manage to get on the phone with your insurance provider or whatever the case may be. You can haggle a bit and there's always a bit of wriggle room. I've always found that. But my my point yesterday, and somebody's picking up on the text, is that nobody answers phones anymore. And you call the free phone numbers and you could be 45 minutes on hold. Um, and then, you know, it, like it, it's just insane. You know, at one stage, there's an option. When I was about 45 minutes on hold for accident, they gave an option to say, Push the push button, whatever, you know, if you want to get a call back and you don't have to wait any longer. So I pushed it, um, expecting a call back and it never came. Uh, so none of it works. It's just not punter friendly, those systems. It just isn't. Listening about car insurance and trying to get through to AXA as an example. You ended by leaving a message, you say, to say cancel the direct debit. But in fact, you cancel the, you must cancel your own direct debit at your end. It's your bank account. All you're going to get from them is a response saying that they cannot cancel the direct debit. I called around and found FBD to be excellent. My insurance was only €350 for the year and my son's is also reduced. So people need to phone around. On another topic of interest that might be worth talking about is where the headline from the Irish Independent says that the taxpayers might have to foot the bill in RTE settlement for self-employed staff. This is ridiculous. The taxpayer pays enough. And who decides that? RTE pays employees high enough salaries they should pay for their own errors themselves. Yeah, and so say all of us, but um, uh, Revenue are looking closely at what's deemed to be uh, self-employed in contract and what's deemed to be salaried employees. Um, just on the topic of, uh, you say you you need to cancel your own direct debit, um, you, you would need to cancel your own direct debit, but what does work actually if you get onto a company, I find, is if you email them. Um, and I did email AXA saying uh, I was on hold, couldn't wait any longer, tried a couple of times. So I'm reaching out by email to say that I won't be renewing. Will you please cancel my insurance renewal? And within 24 hours, they came back and said, yeah, we have cancelled it. Thank you very much. Sorry you were waiting on hold for so long. It's just so busy at this time. 
Um, I'm sure that AXA and other companies like them are making enough profits these days to hire more staff so they can deal with their existing customers, not to mention new customers who want, might want to do business with them. And I mean that in the nicest possible way because I never had any problem with them. I found them fantastic and the, no issue whatsoever apart from the fact that I couldn't understand why premiums were going up when people weren't claiming and less people have been driving over the last two years. That's all. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 0818-104-106. Red FM. And just another one or two quick ones. I must have touched a nerve yesterday. I came across a new house insurance condition in May at my renewal of my house insurance. If your property is within 250 metres of a river, even if you've never been flooded, as mine never has, there are only very few companies who will quote you. It cost me an extra 100 this year as a result. You should get on to a broker and get them to explain things, even though I'm insured. I'm wondering why. I've never had a claim. Yeah, well, I suppose Cork City and flooding, I'm, I don't even know where you are, but if it's Cork City and flooding, we know all about that. And here's another one. This is interesting. Regarding your conversation regarding car insurance renewal, I've worked for many years as an insurance advisor. Neil, you were ringing a call centre as the branches must deal with footfall. Yeah, I was ringing their free phone number, the 0818 number that you're asked to call if you want to talk to somebody about your renewal. You were ringing a call centre as branches must deal with footfall customers. You are ringing mid-July. Staff are on holidays. There are COVID absences and young staff are leaving due to stress. Home insurance has increased for the simple reason, the cost of repairs. The executive name on the policy is no reason for the increase. Obviously, the policyholder must have increased their sums insured. I find when people get through on the phone, they're in no hurry to quickly deal with their policy and they expect to be 30 to 40 minutes in conversation on the phone. Get a grip, Neil, and deal with logic. And that's a text from somebody who works as an insurance advisor, or at least did once work for an insurance advisor. I don't want to be on the phone for 30 or 40 minutes. I just want the phone answered. I'm I'm even okay with 10 or 15 minutes with the diddly eye music. That's not the point. Oh, incidentally, it wasn't home insurance. So there was no increase in the sum assured, insured. It was car insurance. I cannot understand why insurance companies, for whatever reason best known to themselves, would say to anybody that your car insurance is going up. You've had no claims. People have been driving less for the last two years. And added to all of that fact, there are also less claims and less payouts for car accidents. So everything else has gone down. Nobody can tell me why insurance premiums just go up. Do they just stick their finger in the air and say, okay, we're going to do another. And also, why is it then that they put up your insurance premium, right? And then when they call you, when you call them, they bring it back down again. So for the people who don't make a call, they get caught. Is that the reason they don't answer phones? Because they don't want to be engaging and they just hope that people will renew. I'm Lana O'Connor. Red FM News is first for local, national and international news. And you can stay up to date by tuning into our hourly news bulletins or by clicking on redfm.ie. 104 to 106 Red FM This is the Neil Prenderville Show And of course we welcome uh, Westlife to Porky Cueve on Saturday week 13th of August and Cork's Red FM has double tickets to go and see Westlife at Porky Cueve every day this week and indeed next week. You might have heard the song that Colm O'Sullivan played on breakfast this morning, Westlife's Swear It Again. When you hear that played again and it will be, get on the phone to win tickets for Westlife at Porky Cueve. You're listening out for Swear it again. Tickets are available at ticketmaster.ie 
And Red FM is your official Westlife concert station with tickets every day this week and next week. All right, so lines open. Text 086-8104-106. I remember years ago being stuck in a crowd waiting to get into a GAA match in Porky Cueve. There was a group of friends with me. I was being carried by the crowd. We all got separated. My feet were about six inches from the ground. Then I was pinned against the wall close to the small entrance. A gentleman stranger pushed the crowd back to get me in. I never saw him and I don't know who he was, but he saved me that day. I will never forget that crushing feeling. It was frightening and I didn't think I'd get out alive. For that to happen to that family in Cove is awful at that soccer match. It's something they won't ever forget. If the family weren't meant to be there, uh, they should have been told in advance that they should have been in a family enclosure. Yeah, well, you know, the people that I spoke to or indeed the emails from family members who did get caught up and their children did and got caught and bruised and what have you, they were on the ground with adults, um, you know, on them. Uh, and like, I think that you might recover from the bruising or the scratches, but it would take a long time to get over the fear and the panic. So thank you for that text. Text 0868104106. Um, I'll come back to calls in a couple of seconds, but, uh, you know, I see a lot of texts coming in regarding the best before and the use-by dates. Is it just a con to get you to dump food faster and to buy more food? Like, everybody is slaves now to what they read and they take everything as gospel. Neil, I've been listening to you on about the cost of living. It's just a thought. But are best before and use-by dates a con by the food industry just to get you to buy more produce? Salt and water have been in the ground for millions of years and it now comes with an expiry date. I've often used eggs that are six weeks past their date. I'm currently using mustard with an expiry date of 2021. If it smells okay and tastes okay, surely it's good to eat. Well, I'm with you. Absolutely, 100%. Might be slightly wary of the six-week-old best-before date uh, eggs, though. But other than that, I remember talking about why does water that you buy in a, in a plastic bottle come with the best before date if it's millions of years in the ground. We did that on the air years back and apparently the response I got back was it's not the water that you have to be careful for, it's the plastic. And the best before date has more to do with the plastic than the water. Ryan says, I totally agree. A healthy dose of common sense and we'll all be fine. Emma says, it's amazing the amount of people who don't know the difference between used by and best before. It's a suggested date, as my mum calls it. Seriously, though, generally, best before is fine, beyond the date. And lots of used by dates are okay, too. You just need common sense and a good sense of taste and a good sense of smell, and all will be fine. Neev says, meat, I'd say, is pretty much gone by best before, give or take a day. Veg in a fridge lasts much longer, in my experience. And some stuff I read is not the best before for the product, but for the container it's in, like water. So for salt and water bottles, it's apparently a best before for the container that it comes in. Marguerite says, best before are just guidelines. I've had food gone off before the best before date. I've used food after it perfectly. I think it depends where it's stored and if the packaging has been opened. Certain things will just give off a whiff and then you'll know whether it's okay or not. And the final word to another knee of best before means it won't be off if you use it within reason after these dates. Use before is slightly different, meaning use it or lose it. Years ago, there were neither of these references available. We didn't have a fridge when I was little. We had noses to use to smell food to see if they were tainted. I still use the nose method on occasion, 
Plus, food producers must protect themselves and their brand against people claiming food poisoning. Things do get through, unfortunately, where packaging has been perforated, for instance, allowing the contents to become spoiled. Anyway, I had a tin of peas once that exploded when I stuck a can opener into it. Peas were dripping everywhere. Ceiling, curtains, cookers, top. The tin seal was perforated, allowing fermented gases to build up inside the pea tin. The company sent out a rep to investigate and take the tin for examination. A week later, I got two large cartons of goods as by way of an apology. Well, I sincerely hope that it wasn't just two large cartons of peas. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818-104-106. Cork's Red FM. Rabbiting on, I know I am, but with regards to best before dates, if you got two boxes of peas, it's not the peas that be exploding, it's you'd be exploding. Is it peas or beans? You know that old saying, beans, beans are good for the heart. The more you eat, the more you... They've now decided to come up with a jellyfish flavour crisps. Apparently, uh, I think it's walkers are, are testing the uh, two pints of lager and a packet of jellyfish crisps. Uh, it's easy to test them but how many people would buy them um, then there's other people talking about that's all very well but what about cheese when it starts to go off do you ever think of just cutting off the bit just cut off the green mouldy bit and eat the rest of it that's what I do I mean just get rid of the bit that's you know dried out or gone off in colour has a bit of green mould cut it off and eat the rest of it so keep those coming text 0868 104 106 back to the phone lines we go because yesterday we're giving away family passes to go down to Spike Island and uh, actually thank you so much to um, got a lovely thank you card from Con and Aileen Luxford in the post because they won one of the family vouchers and headed down to Spike and sent a lovely thank you card they also dropped off to me the Spike Island Harbour uh, souvenir guide to the history of Spike. What a history going back 1300 years. I'm not going back 1300 years, uh, maybe change out of 100 years and I ran out of time yesterday before I got a chance to talk to Fanula. I think actually she volunteers down uh, on a weekly basis with people who go out to Spike for a tour and she joins me by phone. Fanula, good morning. Good morning Neil, how are you? I'm good. So you are one of good. those that will welcome visitors on the island when they go out for the day trip, right? Uh, actually, what I do is um, I am a volunteer, but what I'm doing at the moment is I'm doing some historical research. Um, my mother was born and lived on Spike, and my grandfather worked there from 1922. And that's what I wanted to hone in on. So he was there from 22 to 1940, and during there, yes. your mother was born. She was born there and reared there, and then she left there when she was 12, and they moved to Cove. Okay, and passed away only a few years ago. That's all, yeah. Okay, but did Four you did ago. she tell you about life on Spike? Did she give you the backstory? She was always talking about Spike. There was nowhere else but Spike, and now uh, we had lived abroad and we lived, you know, in a lot of exotic places. But the only place that she absolutely loved was Spike. She never got over it. I must admit, you know, the um, the love she had. I mean, it was like a playground. It was a permanent playground yeah. for herself and all yeah. the kids, you yeah. know. And did you identify the house she lived in? Yes, um, it was called uh, Beach Cottages. Like, my grandfather was one of the boatmen, you know, a civilian boatmen, but they worked for the War Department fleet. And um, so he'd be on the launches that would go, you know, between the forts carrying munitions and provisions. So was that before and the handover by the British or after it? Oh, or? God, yes, yeah. The handover was in 1938. And right. he was there from about approximately, I think, 1922. Okay. So even though we got independence much earlier, did they hold on to it longer or what? Yes, they held on to what they call the treaty port. Yeah, um, it was Fort Carlisle, Fort Camden. 
uh, I think it was Bearhaven as well yeah, and Spike yeah. were all held until 1938 and then uh, De Valera had, uh, sorry, it was pres- uh, he wasn't president at the time, but he um, negotiated, there was some trade um, deal thing going on and he was able to negotiate to get the ports back which was very lucky if you think that a year later we went into a war situation mm, uh, mm. and we and I beg to think what might have happened if um, we would have been a target still under the British influence you know, we would have been absolutely a target yeah yeah there was some story yeah. going about at the time that somebody said that de Valera or the Irish government were thinking of doing a deal with um, Hitler and then there was others saying that uh, they were thinking of doing a deal with Churchill, that Churchill, that we'd give them the use of Cove and our naval ports in return for uh, the six counties. Do you remember that? Yeah, I had heard something about it. I haven't done much research on that one, but that's yeah. something I would look at, yeah. So but, did your um, mother leave a legacy behind uh, written stories? Well, that's what she did. She actually, and she's a bit like a freehand artist trying to decipher all her stories, you know, because we had come over a few years back and she just loved it. She went into total childhood mode, like, you know, and even the tour guides just stood back and let her do all the talking, you know, about it. About it. And um, she left some lovely, lovely stories, um, thank God. And also my brother, my younger brother, Eamon, he uh, videoed her. Uh, a couple of times, you know, telling her stories about Spike as well. So we've got a great legacy. Plus she left all my granddad's documents, you know, like his record of service, um, uh, even things like references for for the coming handover. um, That's amazingly important information that you have. Did she, where did she go to school then if she was... In, in Spike as well, yeah. They, basically there was um, the church, or the chapel, uh, it was run by a father Brown priest. Uh, God, I'm just wondering if he was related to <laughs> the bishop at the time, Bishop Brown, but I don't think so. But yeah. I'll check on that one. Yes, yeah, so um, there was a primary it was like school. A there. Hmm? there was a primary school. There was a school. There was a garrison school, as they called it. There was a school for the military, which was separate, because my mother was very friendly with one of the military boys. He was around the same age as her. She was about seven, and she wanted to go to their school. And my and my grandmother said apparently no 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 you can't they're, they're Protestants up there you're Catholic <laughs> <laughs> and vice versa the Protestants are the yeah, same exactly. I can't marry yeah. you you're a Catholic <laughs> yeah <laughs> stuff. so what did they ever like for food and provisions they would have had to go to Cove would they well yeah I mean what mum never went to Cove would you believe very rarely did she go they always went to Cork the launches would take all the women the boats the boat women, as we call them, you know, the, um, all of them went up to Cork, um, up to Penrose Quay in one of the boats um, on a Friday. Yeah. They did their shopping and like that. Then they got their fish and chips. They came back onto the boat and they ate their fish and chips as they were making their way back home to Spike. And head us back down again with provisions and the fish and chips. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's amazing. So the boats, that's what my grandfather was, was doing, like going around. And he was also involved with target towing, you know, practice for the, the military. Yeah. Um, and that's why he was held on for another two years. Towing to to things out to see that they could blow up and explode and shoot. Yes. And um, he then helped to train the new Irish army when they moved in. Um, he was part of the, the training, you know, that's why he was held for another two years. Amazing. You know? what, was his, what was his name? Uh, Daniel Cusack. Amazing. Um, so you, you, you go there once a week now, do you? 
I go every Tuesday, yes, and I'm doing all the research because even the other volunteers have got so much knowledge. A good few of them have lived on the island as well, and I know you'll be talking to one of them afterwards. You yeah, know. and you um, know the people that are travelling out to Spike, are they from all over the world? Um, there are a few, but I think you're getting an awful lot of people coming down from Dublin as well, you know, there's a, and families. Yeah, there's a lot of families that are coming there. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. But you do, you do get a few people coming from all over the place, yeah, yeah. Good luck on that. Um, are you writing, are you going to write it all up when you've it all done, all your research? Yeah, we're hoping over in Spike, um, if it all goes well, that there's going to be uh, a new social exhibition. So I'm doing all the research on that, you know, particular area because I have so much information. Good. I'm starting to get so much information on that period, which hasn't been really talked about, if you know what I mean, because I think, you know, obviously... Um, you know, we don't like to talk too much about the British, if you know what I mean, when they were here. Like, you know, no, I know, I know. We're getting better at it, though. You know, it's arguably, are, I'm just reading. Yeah. I'm just reading actually from uh, the souvenir brochure. Arguably, one of the most well-known inhabitants of Spike was Nelly, Ellen Nelly Organ, um, fondly oh, known in Cork as Little yes, Nelly. Yes. Um, so yes. that was in 1905. That would have been That's probably right. before your grandfather. Yes, 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 yeah. that's right, yeah. And then she was apparently brought the age down of um, uh, communion, um, uh, children getting their communion at the age of seven instead of the age of 12. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think she um, the, she was fairly influential. On, and, yeah, sure, know. she was dying, the poor misfortune, and she made her communion yes. at the age of four and a half, yeah. Very yes, sad. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. Listen, lo- and you, okay, just very finally, before I stop quizzing you, you said you mm-hmm. lived in very exotic places, like where? Um, Mauritius, Seychelles, Burma. Wow. Um, <laughs> Caribbean. How come? Um, my father worked with the International Labour Organisation. It's a UN agency. And um, he worked with the ILO. Um, he was a project manager. So we, he brought the two youngest, myself and my younger brother, um, abroad with him. Isn't and, that amazing? Uh, we went, that was our schooling. That was our education. We didn't Mauritius, get a formal education. Didn't you know? Yeah, in, in the sense you didn't go to traditional school? No, well, I mean, we, we did go to school. I went to a convent in Mauritius. It was uh, run by the Loretto Order, you know. It was a load of very nice Irish nuns. <laughs> <laughs> so Mauritius, Burma and the Caribbean. And does any of them particularly stand out as being somewhere you'd like more than others? Yeah, I love Seychelles. I'd go back there again. Why? I just the people were just so uh, laid back, and they were so open, and like the women didn't even think they wanted to get married. They didn't want to get married. They but they eventually they might get married when they got older and they wanted a bit of company. Yeah, it all seemed very liberated and everything. Amazing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Seychelles, (laughs) wonderful, wonderful places you've been. Lovely chatting with you. Thanks so much, Fanula. Cheers. Come back Thanks when you have uh, when you've got your your Lovely research finished. To you, too. you too. Take care. Uh, to the Bye. phone lines we stay. Um, and again, there were other famous people apparently on Spike and our resident historian um, on Lee side. And with this program is the great uh, Liam O'Higgins. Liam, good morning. Good morning, Neil. Okay, Listen, I, I wanted to just ask that woman there about um, Edward Walsh. He was um, a prisoner on the island as well. And that's the Edward Welch, the road in Torquil, is called after him, you know. Okay, at what, at what period was he a prisoner? Oh, 
I'm not sure. I'd have to check it all out. Notice just that I was listening to that the hour ago. And I said, I'd just let you know, I thought you'd be able to ask that woman about it. I can ask her, yeah. And hold on a second there. I might be able to ask uh, Jim because he lived in Spike as a, as a young boy. Unfortunately, he's not there now, but I can get a phone line. So would he have been during the War of Independence or the Civil oh, War? No, it was before the War of Independence. It could have been the 1800s. But he's buried in St. Joseph's Cemetery and there's a big Celtic cross there inside the walls. And uh, he was incarcerated in Spike Island for a couple of years. And do you know why? Um, yeah, he was, he was a fiend. Like, he was, a, you know, he was an Irish poet. He was a translator. He was a teacher. 1798 then, I suppose, right? After before that. Okay. After that, after that, I'd say, after that. Yeah, yeah. Was so he transported? I'll get a bit more information for you and I'll get back to you later on, all right? Okay, and I'll ask as well. Maybe Jim might know. Let me just put them, come back to me with more information. Okay. Thanks, uh, Liam. Jim? Do you know where he died? Oliver Plunker Street, next to where the, the, the fish restaurant there is. Quinlan's? Prince Street, Prince Street. Oh, Quinlan's. Yeah, there's a plaque on the wall there. He died there. Okay, more info, please, on Edward Walsh. Thank you, Liam. Jim, good morning. Good morning to you. Just on that, did you do you know uh, of the people that were buried there? Or sp- sorry, who spent time there? Uh, I didn't hear the last part of because we. Uh, he's referencing uh, Edward Walsh, apparently a famous prisoner in Spike way back in the day, one of the one of the early Fenians. I'd say that's a bit before my time. No, but <laughs> <laughs> well, having lived there, I thought you might. You were born on Spike, weren't you? I was, yes, yeah. Right. Born in 1946. And you were there for, like, what, about 13, 14 years? Uh, 13 years. But, you know, reference to your last caller, the, Fanula. you mentioned uh, Cusick. I remember, I think it must have been her grandfather, Dan Cusick. Yeah, yeah, that's who she was talking about. He was a skipper about. on one of the, uh, the ferry boats. That's a fact. You're spot on. That's the same yeah, man. I, yeah. I saw the man quite often, often travelled on his boat across this uh, cove. Nice man. Always had the same cargo boat. And what was life like as a young boy, being born and reared your most formative years? Well, looking back at it now, it was an ideal place to grow up because for those that don't know, like Spike, it's 104 acres in size. So it's about a half a mile long. And uh, you have a, a village which faced onto Cove. Yeah. Um, I think we had about 64 houses in total in the village. Now, they were not occupied at one time, but the majority would have been. Uh, we had our own school. We had our own church. And um, most people were self-contained in that um, my father loved gardening. So you could take as much of this land that you could mind, if you like. So we had a big plot up alongside the, the school. and. Yeah. We grew everything we wanted to, to use. We kept hens. And then we had a vegetable garden close to the house. So we were self-sufficient in everything but the, the, the milk and the, the bread and the meat and things like that. So it was, it was an ideal place to live up. But it's a place where you learn very quickly that you respected those that um, were older than you because you lived on a military base. And while it wouldn't, it wasn't very strict. But if you were told not to do something, you didn't do it. <laughs> for fear if of you being... did, you paid a price for it. Oh, God and knows. you didn't go home to say, "I got a clip here or a kick up behind from so and so." 
They, they, well, you must have deserved it. <laughs> you must have deserved it. You had it coming yeah. to you. There was a lot of yeah, bartering went on, I'm told. Like you mentioned hens that would lay eggs. You'd swap yeah, them, well, wouldn't you? We had hens, and uh, usually on a Sunday morning, somebody would come down with uh, baked bread or jam or something like that they had made, and that would be swapped for eggs. There was no money, of course, in those days, swapped their own because the army paid very little then or now. Yeah. Yeah. So that uh, everything was barter. Yeah. And uh, it worked very well. But did you have chores as a young fellow out there, you know? You had a lot of chores. When I look back now, you know, when my father started digging the garden, you were up there cleaning off the weeds and preparing for planting vegetables and potatoes. That was all work that had to be done. Yeah, yeah. And um, then you had, the, well, my mother looked after the hens, but we had a side garden where you grew your lettuces and tomatoes and things like that. But you were surrounded by water. Was there any fishing going on? Oh, there was. Um, both summer and winter, um, you would fish. No, I love fishing, but I don't like fish. <laughs> That's strange. And, and yet, and we lived on an island surrounded with fish. So you could fish for in, in the summer, like you were going for your um, bass or mackerel. The winter, you're looking for your pollock. When the tide was out, you could walk down and it was a couple of large rocks at the western end of the island and you could pick up lobster. Go you away. picked it up and you gave it to whoever you thought. Were they plentiful like the lobster? Yes, quite plentiful. And because there was nobody coming onto the island, there was no fishermen in there. So, you know... The, the and there was no industrialization at that stage and no chemical Absolutely. plants and there wasn't, you know, Irish steel weren't there and things. The other thing that was plenty of them were rabbits. We never got mixed mitosis on the island. <laughs> and they were rabbits by the million. So you go off and you'd snare a rabbit and bring it home. Uh, and everybody did that. A rabbit stew, is it? Yeah. It's and amazing you mentioned the lobster video. because I was talking to some fishermen at the weekend. There's no mackerel in the water whatsoever. There's a bit of pollock, but they're telling me none. Why is that, I wonder? I don't know. It may be the change in temperature in the water. They've gone somewhere else. But in, in our time on the island, they were plentiful, running all over the place. And everybody fished. Well, what I remember is young flea, you could nearly walk across the back of them down Ballycotton Way in places. You go down with the handrail. Yeah. But just the, the whole idea that there'll be lobster, plentiful lobster. You wouldn't catch a lobster now in the, in the harbour, would you? Probably not. But, but, you know, we had our own school on the island. We had three teachers. And I think I have a photograph, and there's about 103 kids in the photograph. But if the weather was bad, the because the, te- the teachers didn't live on the island, did they, they came over no. by ferry or something? You yeah, know, the day off. Yeah, are from Monkstown. And if the weather was bad, there would be no school, of course, and we'd all have a day off, which was great. <laughs> well, and it, it could be foggy, and if it starts to get foggy around 11 or 12 o'clock, word would come close to school and get the teachers off because the boat <laughs> might run at three o'clock. It <laughs> was, was great that way. And, uh, you know, we, we had great facilities because we had a huge football field maintained by the army. So you could hurling and football and my uncle was big into rounders at the time. So we'd all be down the field playing that. We had a big swimming area at the western end, I think. And they actually had a little jetty with two diving boards on it, a high and a low one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the army would put a boat in the water with 
two guys sitting in there and make sure nobody got drowned. So it was very safe from that point of view. But it, 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 but it, okay, it was a naval garrison, of course, uh, when you were living there, but it was also a prison, wasn't it? No, it was an army barracks. We lived there. Army. Coast, yeah, the coast defence. And mm. uh, come to the, the 50s when they closed down um, Bear Island and Fort Dunry up in Donegal, some of those soldiers and their families transferred to Spike for a number of years because in those days, every soldier wanted to put in 21 years to get his pension. Yeah. So they'd come down to Spike, put in two or three years, and then they'd go back home again. Yeah, when their time now was some, done. Yeah. Some yeah. of those people in Donegal, they come down on an annual basis just to, to see where they lived for a couple of years on Spike. Yeah, yeah. Do you go, you know, have you been back? I mean, you left in, in 59. Would you have gone back from time to time? I went back, uh, I think, 2011 as a volunteer. And I'm 10 years on the island now volunteering. But our volunteer is slightly different from uh, those that do the gliding. We look after the the heavy equipment on the island, cleaning and painting the, the guns and trying to maintain and develop the museums. And there's, I think there's 10 or 11 of us doing that at the moment. I know we that an awful that lot of work was done on areas of it that were closed for a long, long time, weren't they? A lot of the very yes. large brick stone buildings. I'm not quite sure what they were. They, they, they may have been prison cells. A lot of cells. them were used um, either as a barracks or as a, a prison. Yeah. Bear in mind that in, I think it was about 1848, Spike was the biggest prison in the world. Uh, yeah, I heard that, yes. It held about 2,600 Oh my God! Mostly for petty crimes, and most of the people in in there shouldn't have been in there at all. Good God! No, and I I think there was about twelve hundred actually died on the island, and there's a small graveyard at one end of the island, which nowhere represents the total number of people that actually died on the island. So that's what UCC were doing there when they were doing the 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 dig for a number of years. They were trying to find out what people. Back in the 1840s and 50s, what they yeah, died of, what diseases, what illnesses they Donovan, had. I, I think, was leading that. Yeah, yeah. He wrote a very interesting book about it. Uh, about oh, I didn't know Island that. And the, know the prisoners that. on it. Just hold on there a second. I think Anne Cooney just wants to jump in on the conversation. Anne, good morning. Hang on a second. Let me get my lines right. I think she's there. Anne, can you hear me now? Hi, yeah. Okay, Hi. Did, you want to, did you want to jump in on my chat with Jim? Yeah, I just would like to ask Jim, did he remember the Cooney family that lived on Spike Island? Yes. Yeah. Okay, turn your radio it, down there, Anne, if you don't mind. It's just feeding oh, back. One sec, I'll close the kitchen door, yeah. sorry. Yeah, the Cooney family, Jim. I vaguely remember, but bear in mind, there were so many people who came and went in the 50s when they were just finishing their time. That's all right, Neil. That's, that's brilliant, Anne. Thank, Thank you so you. much. No. Tell, me, tell me about the Cooneys. Did you marry a Cooney? I did. He died there just over three years ago. Sorry to hear that. Was he? Yeah. Did he work out there? Live out there? No, he he was. Uh, they lived there on the island. His dad was in the army. Dan Cooney was his father's name, also. Right. And he was in the Cora camp. Dan, my husband, was born in the Cora, and they moved to Cork to go to Spike. Right. From the Cora. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then. Um, one of the teachers that taught in the school, uh, she was Monkstown, Kathleen Coleman was her name. 
She lived That's in right. the village of Monkstown there where the cafeteria is. Well, Jim was just talking about the teacher in Monkstown that would go yeah, out on the ferry. That was yeah, Kathleen Coleman. There you go. So your husband, Dan, would tell you all of these stories over oh, the years. Oh, dear God. I only met my sister-in-law, his sister, on Monday, Neil, and we had a coffee. And all she spoke about was Spike Island, the time they had there. The fun, they went wild there. They were all over the island. They were like rabbits themselves. <laughs> they, they, and they'd go out in the morning and there'd be nobody come looking for them. Yeah, they'd but not in off. the middle of the winter with a gale force wind coming in the harbour from Roaches yeah. Point or sleet or rain or snow. Or oh, they loved it. And they went to school on the island and everything. And then... Um, there was something I wanted to say. They actually, I think, lived in the house that little Nelly lived in. Is that right? Yeah. 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 You know where yeah. and you know all about little Nelly, I suppose, don't you? I do. I do. Yeah. I do. Yeah. Mm. Where she's buried and everything in her short life. Yeah. But they lived in the water, swimming and fishing and up to all kinds of tricks. And of course, they used to play tricks on the army <laughs> and get a kick in the arse after. <laughs> That's right, yeah. And the bread man used to go over with the bread on the ferry and they'd follow him up the hill and he'd be pushing the kind of a trucky thing with the bread and they'd be all waiting to get the crusts off the end of the trolley. <laughs> they, they were so happy up oh, the living there. Oh, the yeah, back in the day. Great yeah. stories, great yeah. stories. Yeah, um, glad and they used to come to Monkstown to make their confirmation because Monkstown is the Spike Island and Harbour in Monkstown Parish. Where do you make your communion, Jim? Um, in Monkstown. There you go, she's spot and on. And the confirmation. That's your confirmation. Yeah. They'd have to come up in the ferry. Yeah. Stories. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, uh, Spike Island, and Ring of Skiddy, Shambler, were in Monkstown Parish. Lovely stories. Thanks for sharing the man. Glad yeah. you picked up the phone. Look after us. And you too, Jim. Lovely chatting. God Thank bless you so me. much. Bye bye. All the best. Take care. Take care. Text 086 Pick up the conversations after the break. The Neil Prenderville Show on Cork's Red FM. Our phone lines remain open after midday. 0818 106. And you have an opportunity this side of midday to scoop some more of our wonderful family passes, take you and your loved ones to explore parts of the county and these wonderful tourist attractions we have. We've been doing it all through July and indeed we'll be going through August. So just before midday today, I'll open the phone lines for Cork Harbour Boat Hire's self-drive boat tour. You and the family, all ages, just make sure that it's a nice day and you're well wrapped up. If the weather is a bit dodgy, you'll be heading out onto the water, onto Cork, Cork Harbour. And we have three family passes to give away, courtesy of Cork, harbourboathire.com. If you want to get involved and book yourself, that's the web address. They also do private rib tours, sailing tours and corporate events. This weekend will be a good weekend now and all of next week will be a good week to be on the water. And they're really easy to drive boats, very simple to navigate Cork Harbour for all groups and all ages. Um, so you can get them for an hour, you can get them for longer, whatever you want to be, and you'll get full training before you go out on the water. So don't worry about that. It's fairly straightforward. Um, at least one person who's uh, going on the water needs to be over 21. Uh, but other than that, away you go. And you'll be taking in all the coastline, you'll be going around Spike, uh, looking at the old monastic settlement and the prison from the water. Be checking out Crosshaven, out to Roaches Point. Be looking back at Cove and St. Coleman's Cathedral, I suppose. Uh, and all sorts of beautiful places like that. So that's just before midday today. Cork Harbour Boat Hires, self-drive boat tours. 
to be on the water uh, as one of our giveaways this week. Now, one of the people that we sent out to Spike and took families with them was the great Con Luxford and he called out to the station earlier in the week. I missed him, unfortunately, but dropped out a lovely thank you. But the most beautiful souvenir guide to the history of Spike Island and he left it for me as a gift. It's a great read. Wonderful, wonderful photographs going way, way back, as far back as they can go. And a lot of gorgeous, gorgeous art as well. Uh, from the maritime history of Corkport. But just quickly, Con joins me by phone. I just wanted to say thank you. Thank you for the gift. Con, good morning. Thank you so much for the gift. It was very thoughtful of you. You're more than welcome, Niall. And that was Aileen's toss. Well, fair play to Aileen. Will you pass on my thanks? Now, I know I you... T- listening to wait you below in the room. Ah, great. I'll <laughs> chat about Aileen in a second. But um, you said it was the best thing you've done in over 20 years, that trip to Spike. Niall, it was an experience that... I couldn't believe that people in Cork have so much history on their island that we don't go and explore explore it. It's unbelievable. Thank you so much for saying that because you never said a true word and that's a fact. Were you out in Spike though in the 70s? I was out in Spike in 72. We were out there for a week training with the army where we were part of the 4th Battalion in Collins' Barracks right. and it was part of our training that we'd go to Spike and we'd go to Ballincollig and we'd go around different places. Yeah, yeah. So it was like it was like revisiting somewhere that you had known from your youth because I think you were about only 19 at the time, were you? That's all, yeah. And it's, it's a thing we never took in when we were out there. It, it, how much history was out there in that island. It, we were only young for this one. We didn't care how we wanted to do is get off the island. That's right, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, <laughs> now you know it was a monastic settlement 1,300 years ah. ago. You know, it was obviously a prison for many, many, many centuries. And, of course, unfortunately, an awful lot of people were held there for petty crimes during the famine and what yeah. have you. They it was very media. important during the Battle of Kinsale, like, and things like that. That's quite correct. Yeah. Now, it's an experience I t- recommend it to anybody. What stood Please out for go you? go out and look at it. What stood out for you? Everything, everything. It was nothing like I was expecting. And it was a far better trip than I ever expected in my life. I couldn't recommend it better to anybody. Go and do the tour. Now, it is absolutely Now, fabulous. you brought Niall um, and uh, granddaughter Alicia. She's she's 15. What, what did she think of it? Unbelievable. She couldn't get over the way the, 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 the buildings were built from the army, how they got all the stones onto the island to build that fort the way it was. It's my son, My son was the same Nile, and he, he, he turned around and said, how much work went in here? I said, that. I said, I have no idea the work that went in in this island. God I said, knows. God by knows. the British army, I said. Unbelievable. I have no idea. I said, but I take a look. Just take a look at it. And it is absolutely fabulous. I think Little Nelly's house stood out for you. Have you an affection oh, for Little Nelly? Uh, that was the first thing I looked for when I went down to the island, where it was Little Nelly's house. I remember it down further, but it was only just thrown the corner as you, as you come off the boat. Yeah. And it, it is absolutely fabulous to see that. Yeah. And Aileen saw it. I think Aileen said she's seen Nelly's um, cot. Oh. Well, now that's interesting because isn't that up in uh, oh, in Mitchell in, in the Mitchell room? Is it? Yes. Is that on Spike? Yeah. Go away. Mm-hmm. All I've ever seen are photographs. So 
Did they recreate? No, I didn't see did none re- of her photographs. Yeah, but I didn't. I didn't actually see it myself. But Aileen said that she's seen it. And she's seen the, the, the bed that she was in. Yeah. Um, how is Aileen? I know she wasn't well. She's she's coming along, Noel, slowly, slowly. But uh, we just have to keep an eye on her. And, uh, like 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 every good wife. Yeah. She's mar- she's a marvelous woman. Yeah. Okay. Well, our thoughts are with her. She's a marvelous hope woman. She, hope she enjoyed the day. And tell me, you are kind of not. Uh, are you not sure about the Christmas lights this this Christmas, in <laughs> in memory of Katrina, well, your daughter? Are you thinking about it? That- we're thinking about it now, then. Aileen doesn't want it. I do want it. But this argument goes on every year, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I thought and it might have you, had to do with the price of electricity or something. Well, it, it has that note. That's how to come in into the factor now as well. But tis, uh, tis Nile does all the work now. Nile and John does all the work. <laughs> so so we're, is, we're the supervisor. <laughs> this is kind of the time of the year you hum and haw, will we or won't we do oh, the Christmas lights? Well, I can tell I can tell you now, Katrina would turn around and say to Dad, Dad, are we gonna go do the lights this year? I said, Look, go down talk to your mother for God's sake, don't be commenting me. Well she she go down and then she'd ask Mammy then and Mammy would turn around and say, No, we're not doing the lights no, we're not doing the lights <laughs> And then Mammy would go downtown and when Mammy went downtown, Katrina would snake up into the loft and bring down three or four bags. <laughs> So when Mammy come back from town, then there'd be three or four bags in the system. Well, we started. She'd say, well, you started, you might as well finish. (laughs) It's a wonderful thing to do in memory of Katrina. And of course, proceeds and lots of money raised uh, for penny dinners in her name. we, we, We can't thank the people enough for the amount of money that they give every year. It is unbelievable. And we can't thank the show enough for publicizing uh, uh, it as well, letting people know that. that we are doing it. Yes. And we appreciate that as well. You're one of Cork's loveliest families. And it was a lovely gesture to call out with that beautiful souvenir. I'll treasure it. I really and truly love it. You're very kind to think of me. Niall, thanks very much. And we appreciated that trip. And it was absolutely fabulous. My pleasure, Con. My pleasure. Thank Regards you. to you all. Take care. Cheers. Take care. It's Red FM. Back after the break. Text 0868104106. Get it off your chest. Text the Neil Brinderville Show now. 0868104106. Red FM. Don't, don't know what's happening with the Good Shepherds Convent. I remember cycling up there some, might have been last summer, and it's all locked up and the, the gates are locked and they're chained and everything, unless something has happened. I think there might have been proposals in to redevelop it or to, I don't know, maybe put apartments in there or whatever. But the Good Shepherds is still there, although you can't access it. And in there, of course, is little Nelly's grave, little headstone and things like that all in there. Uh, anyway, if anybody has any updates on that, maybe you might get in touch. Text 0868104106. Little bit of housekeeping. Um, I hope you're well. Just a quick email. I love when you send on massive thank yous to companies on Lisa that go the extra yard. Well, Alan's Tires in Glanmire are one of them. My tire blew out on the Watergrass Hill Road and I rang to see if they could come do anything about it. They don't usually do breakdown assistance, but Alan came out to me in a few minutes as I had three small children in the car. He came out and back twice to replace the tyre at no extra cost. 
I did try to give him extra money when I was paying with my card over the phone, but he wouldn't take it for the call out. I won't forget what he did for me and my family and will always support his business from now on. Great service. There are still kind people around. He made my day. Thanks again, Alan, for your help, says Michelle. Well done to Alan's Tires. There are companies that go and do extra things like that, never looking for thanks. You know, they don't expect to hear about their good deeds on the radio. We've heard of locksmiths doing it in the past just going out and helping people. I know Desi's Tires did something similar recently to somebody who had a blow up, blow out up in the county bounds, went out. Um, actually, it was a puncture, I think, if I remember correctly. Did a repair on the puncture. Um, no charge for the call out whatsoever. Then you end up, yeah, of course you end up buying tires, but no extra charge for the call out. It makes you think also as to why in the name of God we can't have spare tires in the cars anymore. You know, it's absolutely insane. You have to call out I know you're covered in your insurance and what have you. It's probably costing you extra money for it. And a tow truck comes out and they bring your car to the nearest garage. But if cars just had a spare wheel, and we all knew how to change a spare wheel, you wouldn't be stuck on the side of the road like that. You could just get on with your life. The ever-changing world we live in. Now, one quick one on ever-changing world. Can't come on the air, but need to draw your attention to what I consider to be a new low in the city centre. Brought on, I'm told, by antisocial behaviour in the city gone mad. My 21-year-old sister, sister was refused entry into a shop in town at 8pm on a Sunday night because she was unable to show ID when requested by security on the door. Eight o'clock on a Sunday night, looking for ID to get into a shop, um, food shop, small little convenience store. Bear in mind, all she wanted to do was buy bread. She told the security she just wanted to buy bread. He insisted she produce ID. She was too afraid to open her purse as there was two drunk individuals engaged in a scuffle within arm's length outside the premises. I think this is absolutely crazy. Why has the city come to this? Why indeed? Text 0868104106. ID to go into a shop at 8 o'clock on a Sunday night. Is it a shop that also sells alcohol? Is it because of antisocial behaviour? Is that an example of what's gone on inside the door? Two drunks fighting within arm's length of the front door? I don't know. Text 0868104106. The last bit of business this morning is yet another appeal from a guy who constantly makes a difference on Leaside. And that's Joe from Joseph's Hair Salon. He's at it again, lads. He's at it again. And the late next appeal starts um, on the 22nd of August in Flannery's. And it involves haircutting. Joe, good morning. Good morning, my beautiful Neil. I'm just saying, Neil, I have a full Irish breakfast here in Barry's at the table. So I'm outside now. Are you having the full yeah, Irish in Douglas? Yeah, yeah, in Barry's. I nearly choked down a bit of black pudding. What's it like? Is it good? Oh, gorgeous, yeah. Absolutely full Irish. Ah, for feck's sake. I have a bowl of fruit with a yogurt in front of me at 12 o'clock. Look look at your figure then and look (laughs) at mine. For God's sake, the difference there. I'd be seeing you there. You're like a mad and I'm like, well, I won't say what I'm like. You are not, boy. If I was gay, gay, I'd run away with you myself. But you have a partner who might get upset. I won't eat anything for the rest of the day and now I'll have a little salad tonight. That's the thing. Have the full Irish in the morning and then starve yourself for the rest of the day. Yeah, and go down to, go down to Tramore Valley then. Ah. I haven't seen you for ages. Do you know what you need? I know this is going off the record. We bought two electric bikes as well. <laughs> and your man is saying, Jim, why are you getting electric bikes, Joe? You should be peddling. I said, just in case we get a halo, Auntie. You know what I mean? We put on electric Don't mind them. They're only jealous. You still pedal an electric bike. <laughs> anyway, Neil, anyway, I'm getting away from the problem. Neil, we've had an unbelievable success in the collection of the school bags, copies, the whole lot. I'd say, uh, at the moment, even at the car now, it's full of stuff to go into Coley Refuge. Last night, into Dell House, another car full load of stuff. Literally, 
Neil, I'd say we've raised about I 6,000 euros worth of stuff. I saw the photographs of the bookstation in Douglas. There are just trolley loads of it. Trolley loads, yeah. And the high street now up in Wilton as well. Every time we got a bag there, they gave a lunchbox. So what did you gather? I mean, everything that's needed for back to school, is it? Everything, literally now from school bags, pencil cases, lunch boxes, bottles of water, little bottles of things for them to have their water or juice in, um, copies, bibles, pencil, markers, geometry wow. sets, everything. And one guy from um, Energy Blazing brought up last night now 30 stacked packs for kids going back to school. Sean Murphy, like the, the, re, the response has been made. No, it is always, because no, Cork people are hugely generous, right? But they need somebody yeah. to pull it together and coordinate, and that's what you do so well. And you know what I do, Neil? I go to people, say, like, that I got windows last year, saying, or go into my GP that, that I give money to, or go to my dentist and ask them for a donation. I've been doing it for years. I hear that about you. You have no shame, they tell me, yeah. Not at all. Not, not at, at all. I'd be asking Barry's now in a minute after my full Irish. You know what I mean? Ask him for a voucher. Peter, Peter, <laughs> you know Peter Collins for a voucher. <laughs> oh, Peter's brilliant, yeah. And and, and Dono and Douglas and South County, all the lads are great and they're all in parties one the middle and everywhere. What's the crack with the hair with the haircuts? Well what we're doing on the twenty second of August, we're doing I don't like to say free free haircuts, but we're doing haircuts for the kids. For me, that house, Coonley Refuge, and anywhere else that needs it. That's services it. that need it. Ah, listen, and we're, yeah. I'm looking for volunteer hairdressers because we'll be tearing busy. And Neil, also, what we're going to have then is a party on Flannery's. It'll be food um, done by Flannery's themselves. We have a guy doing entertainment, then face painting, whatever, disco, and the whole lot for the kids. And I'm going to have all hair products for the mothers from a company. I'm at, I got on for a company and they're going to send me down stuff from Dublin. So we'll have little gifts and everything like last time. That's incredible. So what I'm looking That's for, Neil, if, if, what I'm looking for, Neil, is any women out there that would like to bake a few buns or anything like that for the day. Yeah. You know, a few white crispy buns or anything you, like that. Do you think that men can't bake, Joe? Is that what you're saying? That well, men are I'd incapable of making a queen my... cake or yeah. incapable oh, yeah. of making Don't an apple tart? I know can you say queen cake anymore. <laughs> Why not? This is a feckin' cold <laughs> when, when I was a kid. What did I, what did I say recently? It was very un... Oh, I can't remember now, that, but there's no one PC. You and I are just going to keep on putting our foot in it, you know, because oh, everything's been banned and nobody's yeah. told us. Yeah, my my clients are great crack. They don't take any notice of what I say, but if someone else said it, I'd say they've been through a couple of What are we supposed to call a queen cake? A cupcake, is it? Give me a break. I say, um... Um, an if cake this until it decides what it wants to be <laughs> a so pronoun cake okay well fair enough okay so you need well you really okay you need bakers barbers and hairdressers barbers. for the 22nd yeah and anyone and not just even a few hours like all my staff won't be able to do everything and it's if we get as many as we expect and also if there's anyone out there that wants to contact me that need anything you know some people are quite shy I can get them school bags and pencil cases and things like that you know? oh listen I wish I had more time now I'm out of time now but I'd love to revisit it just coordinate it and put it all well, together well I'm delighted you are Neil because my Irish breakfast is I, getting I, cold I, I'll talk to you hopefully by the over now and I, I'll, I'll let you get back to the full Irish but somebody here what? suggested I, to me that if we stop calling them queen cakes we could call them um, fairy buns Oh, lovely. I've been called a fairy so many times anyway. You can call him. You know, because... I'm going back to my sausage. No, wait a second, because you cut cut the top off the bun, right? You put the cream and the jam into it, and then you put two fairy wings of it on, you know, the top of it, you cut it in half. Oh, lovely, yeah. That's why they're called... And you know what I'm going to do now, Neil? Put 
two sausages in between two slices of toast. <laughs> oh my God, with a half cup of coffee now it's going to be gorgeous. I want to keep you here because I wanted to go cold because I'm right. jealous. Good luck. Oh, Neil, I have loads of stories, right, but we'll do that another day. Okay, All right, my okay. friend. All right, good luck. Bye, friend. <laughs> he cares more about the full Irish than he does me. He's one hell of a sensible man. If you can help, listen, get in touch. You can either get in touch with Joe's hair salon yourself, find it on a Google search, or text us, text 0868104106. If you want to help, get involved. If you're a barber or a hairdresser or a baker, uh, our lines will stay open. Uh, we pick it up in the morning. Three family passes to give away now for Cork Harbour Boat Hire's self-drive boat tour. You will love it. I've done it. The harbour's a beautiful place. You'll be on it. Get dialing now on 0818104106. Three family passes to give away callers 9, 10 and 11. Have a good day. I'll see you tomorrow. For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcasts.